Hi there. As many regular listeners will know, I've been doing a series all throughout 2019 of my, my favourite albums of each year of the decade, and I thought it'd be fun to do an episode where I summarise like my top 10 favourites of the, the decade as a whole. But because you've already heard me cover all these albums, I thought an interesting thing to do would be to get five friends together to review my albums of the decade. So this is the first episode of Phil's Breakfast Metal that, other than this intro, won't feature me at all. Uh, sorry for the slight delay getting it to you. Turns out it's quite hard to get five people to listen to a 10 hour plus playlist and then gather them in one room to talk about it. If any of you are interested, I've actually done a full top 100 albums in order of the decade uh, list as well, which I'll be sharing on the Facebook and Twitter page. So yeah, if you're interested in that, go there to find it. But otherwise, um, here's Rob with my top 10 albums of 2010 to 2019. Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 58. We are without Phil today, as Phil has already introduced you to. This is our top 10 albums of the decade. So we started this podcast back in 2016 and then each year from then we've done a top 10. And since then Phil's been going back and looking at the other years from 2010 all the way through to 2019, which we did um, a week ago. And from that, we've collected, we've actually collected 100 albums that we think are the best of the decade. Um, and so, as Phil has talked about all of these albums, and I've talked about some of them as well, what we wanted to do is get a group of people together to share their thoughts on these albums and also tell us some of the other albums that they think are really worth pointing out in this decade. Um, so, we've got a group of friends here today, some of who have been on the podcast before. So, Ollie, who has joined us for some Stone of Rock episodes before, Hannah, who's joined us to talk about some extreme death metal. Um, Mel, who's joined us to talk about separating art from the artists and some of the philosophy behind metal. Um, and first time on the podcast, our friend Finn is joining us as well. So thank you guys all for listening to over 10 hours of music <laughs> for this one. So that's that's impressive. Um, and we'll kick off with number 10, uh, which we have covered before, which is Fantafaxaf, Void Masquerading as Matter. So Fantafaxaf, I think, has the honour of being probably the scariest album of the decade in my head. They're an anonymous three-piece band from Toronto, Canada, uh, and they've recently started gigging, although keeping up the anonymity throughout that. And I would describe them as a bit of a prog rock and noise complementing a terrifying core of black metal with these hypnotic, twisted rhythms which always feel like they're in the midst of breaking in front of you. So the whole thing has this incredibly unnerving air, um, but then is over really quickly. This is an EP rather than an album, but at 35 minutes, it's pretty much there. And it's so sort of tightly packaged, but again, is constantly feels as if it's breaking apart in front of your eyes, which I think fits black metal so nicely. So I want to throw this guy's one out to you guys. What did you think of Fantafaxaf? I wasn't initially that sold on it, but the part that made me reconsider it was uh, the bit, I think it's right at the end, where all the instruments drop out. They just have these very, very long vocal sections. That mm. It sounds like it's scoring some kind of psychological horror movie, like you're walking through <laughs> a very thick mist. It's really, genuinely really effective. And the fact that they're anonymous as well. You're just thinking, oh, who are these guys? This is really effective. And you look kind of think, don't even know who they are. It's just like this whole mysterious thing. It's, uh, it's quite terrifying. I feel like knowing that they're Canadian also helps. Like, um, <laughs> it's extra charming and makes me like it even more. I was This is a bit like Dark Horse for me. Um, cause like this kind of slightly weird black metal would not necessarily be my kind of thing, but yeah, 
definitely agree with uh, Finn. Like by you get to the last, by the time you get to the last track, it's this kind of like magical, sinister choral kind of arrangements. And I, I got kind of like an ambient, like sci-fi, like two thousand one kind of mm-hmm. like movie yeah. score kind of vibes from it. But yeah, that was probably my favourite moment. So unexpected. Yeah, because that that final track, Void Masquerading as Matter, is seven minutes of these sort of bizarrely structured choral sections which go on far longer than a human voice should ever be able to yeah, which feels yeah. weird very Cthulhu-y. yeah and, <laughs> and gradually evolves into these like what sounds like these wailing spirits i just saw phil walking away from us just <laughs> oh, no, he's um, but yeah <laughs> it ends up with these wailing spirits at the end which just it just sounds terrifying but the build is so sort of slow that you barely mm. notice it by mm. the end where it's actually really scary yeah i felt like that as well i thought um it, it could have been the score to like a horror film or like mm. Silent Hill or something. Mm. And, um, and the, 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 the phrase that I came up with that I thought sort of hit the, hit the nail on the head for a lot of it was a discordant um, harmonic noise. The vocal section. Yeah. Yeah, discordant but beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, that's... Sorry, Mel? I was saying I, I found it probably of this list the least easy to focus on and remember but that's kind of what it's doing on purpose. Um, I think it was the... Uh, probably the album that made me feel most uneasy though there was at least one close competitor mm. um, yeah the the tone of everything of all the instruments is really good I really liked the sort of satisfying thumpy drum sounds they weren't like overly hollow but they weren't overly clicky either uh, great screams great clean vocals towards the end as well as Finn said um, yeah and also I really like the album cover and I think it really does sort of fit in with that whole like horror movie soundtrack thing it's a, it's a sort of blurred black and white image of like someone as it, uh, as if the photographer has been sort of running and falling in, in a mm. forest somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like this, this black and white picture of a forest that looks like it's at a Dutch angle, so it's slightly on its side, and it's distorted, it's not in focus at all. It's very Blair Witchy, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And I feel it's one of those album covers that really sums up what you feel listening to the album. It's mm. like that sort of traditional black metal, black and white forest where, you know, some kids are playing around yeah. doing some evil music, but it's it's twisted and it's out of focus and it's a bit weirder than what you'd expect from that. There's a lot of sort of weird time signatures in this which feel quite proggy, and then there's bits which feel quite noisy, particularly how they've got all of these what feel like very chromatic scales, but they never quite resolve properly, mm. and they always feel a bit broken, like there's some extra blues notes in there which are just a bit wrong. Yeah. You always feel like you're on the verge of just about getting what sort of scale they're playing, but then it just sounds wrong, and they have these bizarre ascending and descending guitar parts which just sort of come out of nowhere, and are just really confusing, but kind of mesmerising at the same time. Definitely. Yeah. I, I really like the... Uh, sorry, continue. Go ahead. Um, I really like the the way the guitar tone is slightly sort of like staticky and buzzy. I know, um, and there's, there's a few other sort of black metal and uh, black metal influenced bands do that as well. But it's really, really, it really gives it this sort of like uneasy, not really knowing what's going on kind of feel to it. And I really do like that. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I, I'd be really interested to know how they they get some of the sounds on the album because it's it's yeah, some very weird noises on that album. <laughs> Yeah, certainly thinking about um, Cursed Numbers on it, which has got these sort of like synth, what sound like synths and strings at the beginning and then an acoustic guitar sort of coming in over it. And the layering they've done is incredible, how all of these elements sort of build up on each other while maintaining that quite raw black metal feel to it, particularly the guitars. And yet they manage to put in all of these different elements and somehow make it balance together without just sounding like a mess, which if you use sort of really old-fashioned black metal production, I don't think you could get 
anywhere near this sort of elements actually sitting together nicely. No, the production did make it all kind of come together nicely. Mm. Yeah. Have, have any of you guys seen them live? No, so I think they've only started touring recently. Yes, yeah, so they've started touring recently with a couple of other bands in Canada, um, and I'm sort of I'm really interested to see if they do any international shows because they're still trying to keep up this anonymous thing. And if if that's bring your passport with you, it must be quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so yeah, it, it, it must be kind of amazing to see live. Yeah. Um, seeing sort of similar extreme black metal bands like um, Imperial Triumphant recently, it's just, it's sort of an overwhelming experience, but it's quite amazing. Yeah, I wonder how many of, how, how much of the, the sounds they make in their produ- produced recordings they're able to replicate live and how much of it they just use as like a, a recording backing track. Particularly as it's a three-piece as well, and there's clearly, so there's these strings, there's the synth elements, there's the choral elements, there's so much stuff going on which, you know, as a three-piece... It'd be really fascinating to see how they create that live because I do believe they perform just as a three piece rather than with um, other backing members. Very interesting. And uh, the other thing I thought is the song titles on this are also terrifying <laughs> in their own right. Starting off with an ocean of screaming spheres, self devouring womb, cursed numbers, and void masquerading as matter. Like just reading that is. It's one of those albums where the album cover, the name, and the song titles pretty much tell you exactly the feeling the album yeah. is going to give you. For sure, I particularly, yeah, I particularly enjoy self-devouring womb. Like as a song <laughs> and as a song title. <laughs> yeah, is, is there anything else you guys reflected on this album? Oh, as you said, the um, I, I look, actually this is the only one that I listened to twice. Uh, because the first time I listened to it, I was aware that I just wasn't picking. There was just so much mm. going on that I wasn't picking up on. Because, as you say, it's, it's really subtly not quite what you were expecting it to be. Um, and I think, yeah, that really adds to the, the sort of feeling of unease you get when you're listening to it. And I think that's one of the things because it's only about thirty-five minutes long. There's so much packed into that small amount of space. Even looking at different tracks, like "Void Masquerading as Matter," sounds like nothing else on the album, and yet has the same sort of tone going on throughout mm. it. So. You can listen to this quite a lot in one sitting, which is tough because it is quite an intimidating album to listen to. But there's, it's so sort of tight in terms of how many ideas and how many twists and turns have been packed into such a small amount of time, uh, which I think is really hard to do. Like they do have, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the album now, but they do have a full length album. And part of what I feel about Void Masquerading as Matter is it's much tighter and much more focused and gets across these really creepy, unsettling, but kind of hypnotic ideas really effectively over what is quite a short amount of time, particularly compared to other albums we'll be talking about. Yes, yeah, there's no there's no fluff or kind of bloating. No. Despite the fact that, yeah, it's just, absolutely, it's like, this is weird, this is noise, this is black metal all at the same time. Yeah. But it never feels like it's it, like it's chopping and changing too much. Like, I was listening to it, kind of like, drifted out. When I drifted back in, it was just all choral, and I was like, yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've missed something. Yeah. 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 I think it's... Probably the strangest album on the list. I mean, there's a there's a lot of weird music in, in there. I think mm. um, Phil really likes weird music. He does. But, um, yeah. I, I think I don't know what you guys think, but I think it's probably the, the strangest. Yeah, it's. I, th- I think the sort of thing that sums it up is it's one of those things that's taking black metal, the idea of making music that conjures ideas of evil, and actually taking that seriously and yeah, making something sure. that's really quite unnerving, which is an amazing experience to listen to. Yeah, I find it's quite a challenging listen, but then it really pays off if you put in the work to kind of get it. Yeah, I certainly struggled with it at times. Mm. It's yeah. kind of unnerving, but it didn't make me sad. Like a lot of these mm. black metal yeah. stuff, like makes me like feel really sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas this was like, yeah, it was, it was more scary. Yes, mm. yeah. which I think I prefer. I prefer to be 
unsettled than sad. <laughs> this is what I concluded after the over 10 hours of listening that Phil has uh, not made me do, but um, asked me to do very nicely. next album on our list is Slice the Cake, Odyssey to the West. So this came out in 2016, um, and it's a collaboration between three people, Gareth Mason on vocals, words, and concept, Jack Richardson on composition and orchestration, and Jonas Johansson on guitars, bass, and backing vocals. This album is huge. It's sort of a vast series of musical journeys coalescing into this single, epic, sort of poetic, majestic-feeling Odyssey to the West, but with incredibly crushing, heavy moments which are sort of reminiscent of death metal or deathcore at certain points, but then incredibly emotional, heartfelt moments at the same time. So this is possibly one of the longest albums we're going to be covering, coming in at about 80 minutes long, and it very much structures itself as if it is an epic story, with different songs going through different story motions, through beginnings, middles, ends, and catharsis, but then all of that building into an album which feels like it has a distinct beginning, middle, and then crushing end. So what did you guys think of this mammoth album? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, it was a good album. The, um, it's heavier than most of the music that I listen to, and um, I'm going to be honest, I don't really know what defines deathcore. It sounded just like death metal to me. Um, but, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah, it gets out of a real fact it was big and sprawling. It had lots of cool proggy moments and cool riffs and also some really heavy bits. 
Uh, also, the spoken word narration I thought was really cool because I believe it's a concept album about someone achieving enlightenment. Mm. Uh, so I think spoken word is really cool because it's like someone's recounting this story to you, like it's some sort of biblical tale, like it, biblical it, folklore or something. It always feels feels very poetic to me. Like yeah. a lot of the way that the verse is structured, how it's put in there, and the sort of dynamism of the vocalist, yeah. and how they'll switch between sort of just spoken word into like half growls and then into full on screaming is really impressive. Yeah, I've, I've got a bit like, I do like the idea of telling a story in music, but the, the spoken word parts were a bit jarring for me. It didn't really do it for me. Yeah, but say, like, having, I remember listening to Slice the Cake, like, back in the day, and it's starting off, because it's the, the album does start off with those spoken words point, and that me at that point going, no, I'm out. And just <laughs> giving up. Because I do tend to do, and I did with another one of these albums, and then, you know, realised actually it was great and I loved it so I was good to actually listen to this properly and also I feel like the size of it can be quite off-putting mm. it's like you don't want to start reading a book that's like a Game of Thrones level you're just mm. like oh that's too long but actually having listened to the whole thing now it, it was great in that even when there were bits that I kind of was finding myself drifting away from it would like come back in and then it would be like proper good death metal and I was mm. like I mean I felt in safe hands at all times like it was just so like competently put together like at no point did the kind of journey between yeah kind of spoken word or like poetry or kind of progressive twiddly bit kind of feel like jarring with the death metal it all kind of like flowed really nicely yeah um like a you know well put together story so i, I really like that and it feels like i'm gonna listen to this when i don't know what i'm in the mood to listen to because it <laughs> yeah. like it's got a bit of everything yeah so. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and it, it, it's, it sort of moves between these you know touching and haunting acoustic parts to really catchy parts like um uh, this is the way chorus from um Unending Waltz, I think it is, and all of these different parts, and then it will go just into this like pummeling death metal and things like um, Ash and Rust, uh, which is just completely uncompromising. But then it blends together these sort of electric elements and these acoustic elements really nicely, mm. and we'll have them going at the same time. It's very yeah. impressive. Yeah, it never gives yeah. you whiplash. Yeah. The, the parts will work mm. together really well. Mm. Yeah, it had a really good range of sound on it as well. I didn't find that. Uh, I find with death metal sometimes it can get a bit like too much. I guess it's just the same like. You know, chugging drums and guitar, and it's just you just get a bit bored. Well, I do anyway. Maybe I've got ADD. I don't know. But um, yeah, this I, I thought it was really good in terms of range of different kinds. Yeah, yeah you're not going to get bored. So, when I first started listening to it, I actually thought this was the one that I really wasn't going to get. Um, but I really liked how it got progressively weirder and more atmospheric, and I really liked the second half in particular. Mm. Um, I did find the metalcore, deathcore kind of influences really challenging because I just don't listen to that sort of thing. So they were quite like jarring and quite prominent to me. Um, but this is possibly the only like heavily metalcore influenced album that i actually really like um as finn said um the it seems to be some sort of like um ill-fated journey towards enlightenment um i didn't quite understand the lyrics because they were they were very like um you know very long like sesquipedalian words kind of shakespearean syntax um mm. but i think there's quite there's something in there that i just haven't got yet yeah, yeah, I think the I vocals think, are very cool though. The, the sort of growly yelling vocals, I really like those. So yeah, I thought the vocals were probably my favourite part of the whole album. Like he's yeah. an incredibly dynamic and charismatic vocalist, and the range of stuff you've got here is simply insane for one person. There's all of these spoken word bits that feel like it could be, you know, like a recital of poetry. The half distorted things. There's like creepy soft laughter at some points on the <laughs> Exile Part Two. Yeah. There's like these weird sort of bits. What's the vocal. Sighing? Well. Yeah, actually, a lot of sign, but it 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 gives it so much character to something that could feel, in a sense, quite sterile because it is very progressive and technical, and there's loads of musical elements that are sort of fighting for space. But he gives it this real human character. I think without the vocals, the story of it 
while there wouldn't quite make as much sense. Like, it allows the music to carry all of these moods. And in a weird way, I didn't mind that I didn't really understand what he was going on yeah. about part of the time because I felt carried by the mood of the music fitting with the tone of what he's saying and the bits that I can sort of hook in on. You get that emotion from it. You're not sure exactly what's going on. And I feel that kind of works quite well because you're just yeah. being carried through this journey emotionally mm. rather than intellectually. Yeah, I, I remember I particularly um, liked, I think it was From Shell to Shell, where it's, it immediately goes into a sort of like really ominous kind of cold feeling um, related to the, the protagonist going into the water. Um, but then that sort of transitions to a really like crushing heavy section really, really well. And I really like that particularly. Uh, another thing I'd like to say, that the drums for this album are programmed, I believe. Um, but the sample selection was really, really good. Mm. And I had intentionally, I initially mistook it for like really, really good triggered drums with an incredible mm. sample selection because it wasn't clicky like a lot of triggered real drums are. Um, yeah, I thought that the sort of sample selection for the for the programmed drums worked really, really well. Absolutely. Like there's parts in this where I could definitely be tricked into thinking it's a real kick because there's bits where the symbols ring out as if they're real symbols, like some really like nice work on whatever samples they've used there. Mm. Um, and again, the kick drum, like it really fits for the bit where there is some fast double kicks on this, but it's never too clicky that it's yeah. annoying. I think, yeah, they've done masterful work that you really could think that's a real drum kit being used. Yeah, I never, it never stood out, I, mm. I, you know, could have happily believed that it was actually someone playing the drums. Yeah, Particularly considering the diversity of kind of mm. sounds that it has to make, it has to deal with these really soft acoustic parts and then these super heavy parts and they manage to get a, a programmed kit which fits all of that without seeming obviously programmed. Yeah, yeah I thought the production in general was just really good because yeah. it's such a big yeah. album, such a big story. I think it's, the sound sounds really big like you're witnessing this huge event. Yeah, I think it carries it really well. Yeah, but when it really goes for it on like Ash and Rust or Holy Mountain, like it is so yeah. impactful, like it feels so sort of real and yet can be really soft at the same time. Yeah. With all of these different elements, with so many different guitar parts, with so many different vocal styles coming in and out, manages to hold that together. Yeah. So if you listen to it with really good headphones, you can really hear the sound open up and everything kicks in. Absolutely. I think the, the the sort of amount of different styles that they, that they do as well, like Destiny's Fool is really, really strange. Mm. Um, it's sort of weird and upbeat, and then the um, the lyrics sort of change to sort of as if the protagonist is talking to the listener and, and sort of asking them questions about what they think of the album, which is really, like, I've not really heard that before. I thought that was great. Um, I also, I think that The Mountains of Man is possibly one of the best track titles I've heard in a long time. <laughs> It does. I think just picking up what you're saying, it really does feel like you are being spoken to in this album quite a lot, which is it's really sort of involving. And I think when I first listened to it, I had a similar thing of being like, oh, this sounds, a, you know, maybe a little bit wanky. But then as soon as I'd like listened to it for a little bit, like I, it was sort of because the album was directly addressing me and sort of throwing loads of things directly at me, the listener, rather than just as a passive experience. And when I'd sort of got into that and had got used to the style that the album goes in, it just becomes super involving because for every step of the way, it feels as if the album is addressing you yeah. as a listener, which is amazing. Yeah, you're not just an outside of, you know, from an outside perspective watching someone else's journey. You're, like, mm. you're actually there witnessing it. And it does give you enough time to, to be drawn in for sure. Yeah, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and other little things as well. Like, there's so many little details to find on this album, and I doubt I have found even half of the things that are really interesting about it yet. But there's lots of parts as well where the bass will guide a lot of the rhythms quite audibly, which is interesting for such a huge amount of parts going on. When the guitars carry these sort of more emotional sections, the bass will really shine through in the mix. So it's quite a dynamic 
mix in that different parts will come out at different times and guide different bits of the album, which always keeps it interesting, which for, you know, 80 minutes of music is something that's really hard to do, and they've pulled that off really well. Yeah, Anything else you guys think about this? Too many uh, thoughts. I just wanted <laughs> to ask, so um, what, what defines deathcore? Like, what, what differs, differentiates deathcore from just progressive death metal? So the parts of this that I'd say really reminded me of deathcore, there's some, like, sort of quite chuggy, breakdowny style sections yeah. um, where, again, the drums don't tend to do this, but where you could imagine someone doing, like, a groove on a china cymbal. It's a very classic sort of deathcore breakdown section, but they build lots of stuff over it. So I wouldn't say overall I think this is a deathcore album. It's more like a sort of weird, progressive, extreme metal because it doesn't really fall into any of the categories. Mm. But there's certainly riffs in this that feel like they could come out of a deathcore band. Mm. Which I feel like is really unusual in the more kind of progressive, experimental... Like It tends to be like... This kind of snobbery maybe about that kind of like music tends to stay away from anything with core attached to yeah. it. Yeah. Whereas like actually it can be quite fun and melodic sometimes. Just mm. like yeah, you just do something interesting with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah that makes sense. Thanks. Yeah. So um yeah, this is this is possibly the biggest and most sort of like difficult task to really get into, but it's so rewarding as you get through it, so definitely deserves a place in the top ten. So tell me what you see. Do you see anguish or see ecstasy? It's worrying what you might find of me without the poetry to save my face, to save my skin.
of top 10 of the decade is Neobla Viscaris with Portal of Eye. So Neobla Viscaris are an Australian sort of progressive death metal band, I suppose you would describe them as. Um, and this is their first album, or first full length from 2012. Um, and they're a huge sort of six-piece band with two guitarists, drummer, bass player, and then two vocalists. Um, one of whom uh, is a sort of harsh black death metal vocalist, and one of whom is the clean vocalist and violinist. So I would sum up Portal of Eye as a sort of beautifully subtle tapestry of emotive progressive metal with these soaring high sections driven by <laughs> violins and clean vocals, but then with like really punishing, fast, brutal riffs and then compounded with these beautiful acoustic passages as well. So how did you guys get on with this album? Yes, love Nebula Viscaris. Definitely on my kind of top ten of the decade. Frankly, all of the music they put out. But yeah, this probably also there in the top albums. Um, so I was already sold on this, but it's very exciting to revisit properly in depth. Um, I feel like standout for me is Plague, uh, Plague Flowers, The Kaleidoscope. Mm. And the, 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 uh, the names of the songs are a little bit of a <laughs> mouthful, I find, <laughs> let alone the name of the band, which I'm glad mm. I've been pronouncing at least sort of correct for the last eight years <laughs> uh reassuring um yeah but i absolutely love that song like it's such a kind of it really kind of showcases the kind of contrast you get with noble of Ascaris. like the beginning with the kind of violin and just the just literally violin and acoustic guitar and it's so beautiful and kind of effective and the guitar is almost like spanish guitar sounding like mm. really kind of um precise um and complex and then the drumming comes in and the bass and it's all really light touch um, but I think really interesting, like I hadn't really heard anything like like that before. Um, it, it just, I remember kind of hearing them for the first time, I think, at Bloodstock, mm. like a million years ago, and being like, oh, this is so completely different to anything I'd ever heard before that. Um, yeah, and they're all definitely the first band that I ever enjoyed that had the mix of harsh and clean vocals. Mm. Like I've been really reluctant up until that point to accept that at all in music. I don't know why. But I was just like, no, I feel, I feel like things should be completely segregated. It should either be metal and heavy, or it should be clean and not heavy. Mm. It should be easily labelled. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, oh, God, they're breaking me out of my box. Oh. No, no. Love for, no love for Opeth, then? Oh, well, now, yeah. Opeth, I mean, yeah. It took me some time. Oh, she seemed right. Absolutely, it's yeah. fine. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, of course I love Opeth. But um, it is one of those albums, I think, where there's a supreme amount of technicality in the musicians. Mm -hmm. like, when we saw them at Bloodstock, actually, the 
both guitarists sort of during songs when they weren't playing a certain section they were just practicing these ludicrously complicated scales halfway yeah. through it um, and the bass playing as well particularly on this album on songs like of the leper uh, of the leper butterflies it's led by these huge bass melodies um, and it's almost always audible you can pick it out it has that quite tech mix in a way where you can pick out each instrument mm, and exactly yeah. what it's doing but in the way of doing that they don't lose the sort of heaviness that you can get when all the instruments lock in when they have these super fast double kicks over these aggressive riffs it still feels heavy it hasn't lost that in it um, and yet at the same time can pivot to these incredibly soft instrumental parts like the beginning of forget not mm. where it's got these really nice guitar lines and then these violin passages over the top and then these um, sort of, it's sort of filling in for the vocal passage in a way and it tells that story instrumentally through about half a song and then brings things through so even when it's being sort of technical fast and heavy it still feels really emotional sure. and I think that's the thing that comes out of it it feels like tech but done through a lens of driving an emotional story rather than just showing off we're incredible musicians yeah it's like so the opposite of sterile um yeah. Mm. which yeah whatever that word would be dirty <laughs> <laughs> Dirty, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, but but it, and then somehow they still end up with this incredibly clean sound where you can oh, yeah, pick yeah. out every single element at any time, and there's so much to pay attention to throughout the album. Yeah, I tell you, it's it's, it's rich. I guess that would be rich. What, what yes, I'd say, yeah. mm. it's got so much like depth to it. Um, like uh, like these guys, I um, I first came across Neighbor of Scarus at um, at Bloodstock as well in 2015, and was absolutely blown away by their set. They've got such a good show. Um, that I immediately went out and, and bought the album. In fact, this is the the only album on the list that I owned before um, before I knew what we're gonna, mm. we were going to be discussing. And um, yeah, it was great to go back to it and, and listen to it again properly. Um, yeah, I, I really loved it. The contrast between the two vocalists works so well. Mm. I think it's really hard to get that right to get like more than one vocalist um, and having them both you know contribute something to a um, to an album. Um, but they make it work so well. They're so they've got such a distinct style, both of them, and it's um, it just it just works so well. They complement so one another so well, and the um, the balance of melody and extreme metal in the um, in the album as well was was perfect. It, it really did it for me. Um, they've got such a unique sound. I think yeah, really great band, really great album. Yeah, I think the violin work on this album really needs oh, praising because yeah. it carries so much of the emotionless. Yeah. So this album really surprised me because when I, when I first listened to the list, um, this one obviously opens with a with a drum fill sort of straight into a... I thought, oh, okay, maybe this is more of what I'd call a, a normal kind of just metal album. But wait. Yeah, and I thought, like, oh, all these clean vocals coming in? And I thought, oh, fuck, this is really moving. I don't know why I expected it to be a sound of thing. But yeah, I was really, so initially when I heard the clean vocals, I was a bit off-put because I don't really like that style of singing. But the guy has such yeah. a powerfully emotive voice, it, yeah. it did actually eventually yeah. win me over. Yeah. As a, uh, yeah. Um, I didn't used to like the screams on, on this album for years, and listening back to it now, I really can't see what I found. Not the screams, sorry, the clean vocals. Yeah. Um, I can't see what I didn't like about them now because I just got so used to it and it sounds mm, so perfect and yeah. it's obviously supposed to sound like that. Uh, you know, I, I really like them. I think they work really well with the with the screams. Um, I also think that the bass tone is incredible and mm. whilst the guitar tone is more subtle, it works really well within the album. And the violin as well, it's it's quite a rocky sort of style of violin playing. It's not conventionally classical or folky like a lot of the violin you might hear in other albums, which mm. I thought was really interesting. And uh, the atmosphere as well. Compared to quite a lot of the other albums on this list and in metal in general, I found the, the atmosphere sort of quite upbeat and whimsical, which mm. is quite unusual for metal. So I, I, that was sort of a refreshing change, really. I think that's true, particularly for something that comes from like a death metal black background mm. or a lot of black metal that we're talking about today. Going in that direction and 
not feeling, I think at least for me, somewhat sort of like weak in a way. Like mm. there's something about metal that makes you want to think of it as, you know, scary or atmospheric or creepy or yeah. just really heavy. And the way that this takes that and manages to make something that feels genuinely positive is yeah. really, really nice. Um, and again, the use of violin, I think it's something we'll talk about on other albums as well. Metal bands taking instruments that aren't traditional metal instruments and adding them into the mix gives you so many textures and yeah. so much sort of musical room to explore. You know, this album would still be amazing without the violin, but the violin just elevates it to this other level. It carries so many parts of the songs and fills in for what would be a vocal line at some points as well. So I think a lot of bands over the last 10 years, perhaps even over the last 20 including things like saxophones, violins, cellos, has been something which a lot of metal bands have been doing and more of them should do it. Yeah, I'm waiting for metal bands to include like bassoons and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, All of these things add different textures and a different timbre to the music, which is really refreshing to hear and just makes something sound special. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the violin player was my favourite part of the album. Mm. So yeah, it's a sound so. you're not used to hearing at all in this style of music. And yeah. it's how it looks, sort of layered over the really mellow yeah. bits and also over the top of really heavy things with loads of loads of different instruments underneath yeah. it. Yeah, well. it didn't feel like, oh, and here's the violin bit. Like, I've definitely, mm. there's definitely mm. been bands who've, you know, yeah. incorporated kind of string instruments that's been like, and we should play the death metal, and now we should have 30 seconds of cello, and you're like, well, great. <laughs> yeah, it feels a bit jerky. But what yeah. if yeah. you combine the two and actually, yeah, which they do really, really well. You write something rich. No. Yeah. Yeah, they, um, they managed to make their music sound so sort of complete and together it all meshes together perfectly and gives them such a such a unique sound i think um and like you're saying as well they they they, they have this sort of whimsical feel but at the same time the music is so technical it's it, yeah. is, it does have a lot of depth to it Absolutely. it's um yeah it's really, really phenomenal. It's, it's one of those things because of that sort of overwhelming feeling it gives you sometimes you forget that there are some super fast kicks and blast beats in yeah. this like the drumming on this album is incredible like it is so technical He's really quite a restrained drummer as well. Like he mm -hmm. holds back a lot from where someone could be doing, you know, a thousand mile an hour fills around the kit at all times. He'll like hold himself back and he'll only really cut loose on parts, mostly where it's loads of really fast kicks, which just gives this pounding like heaviness to the fast bits. I think the drums play a huge role in making it still sound really heavy with those kicks and with occasional blast beats and stuff, which you'd think sound doesn't have blast beats on it but it does yeah. just in very small segments yeah. it has heavy. that sort of like blackened death metal feel at some points particularly with the harsh vocals as well and it will move from these like more melodic black metal sections to these much heavier bits like on Xenoflux there's these really nice melodic parts and then the enormous bass sound and the drums that never quite settle on exactly the mm. same rhythm keep it really interesting but still really heavy at the same time. Yeah. See, I did find the drums initially were the most challenging part, as you say, because they're doing something so sort of technically complex and they're so high in the mix that mm. it's somewhat a little bit distracting. Um, but I thought they worked really, really well live. I've seen them live three times and I think the drumming in particular, the way it sort of sits in the mix live just sounds really, really good. Yeah, it's definitely one you can listen to like again and again and it never... Mm. I always kind of forget that the next bit is coming and it's mm. always a delight when it does. Yeah, sometimes it's... you constantly anticipate the next section. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's just mm -hmm. it's very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Going back to the vocals, Lars, I, um, I actually came at this the other way around. So I, I've always much preferred King vocals and it took me quite a while to really appreciate um, harsh vocals as well and this, this album really helped me um, get into to heavier metal. Like a transition album. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, indeed. Yeah. This and Opeth were really like gateway mm. bands for me. Yeah, and I think that's because this manages to sound really positive and not scary. There's not a huge barrier to entry, in a sense, despite the fact that there's loads of really heavy stuff going on here. It yeah. sort of invites you in with a lot of these 
like hookier, more beautiful sounding sections, and then we'll say, well, how about some death metal as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah there's yeah. something for everyone, but then while you're there, you can actually learn to appreciate the other stuff they've got going on as mm. well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do, do any of you know about the um, the origin of the name of the band, by the way, which uh, I read about and thought was pretty cool? I don't know. It's, Strangely um, enough, um, an old flatmate of mine, her Scottish clan, it was their motto. Yeah, Campbell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was really Tell, interesting. Us, the, um, Tell us a story. Yeah, the, uh, the harsh vocalist, uh, Mark Zenonier Campbell, um, presu- oh, sorry, do you know who you are? I do not know how to pronounce okay. it. Okay, well, um, yeah, it was his, his family name, and it means um, forget not, I believe. So, That's one of the songs on the album, because, yeah, I, I wore this T-shirt to um, something when I was doing my Masters, and <laughs> someone there was like, that's my clan's motto. <laughs> <laughs> like, huh. Yeah. That's a rocking band. Do you know the band? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so is, is there anything else anyone has to say about uh, Portal of Eye? I think that And Plague Flowers the Kaleidoscope is probably the most pretentious song title I've ever heard. In <laughs> yeah. I feel like the song justifies it, though. Oh, no, no, yeah. it's, it's great. So good at, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just, <laughs> you really go, oh, how wanky, and then you're yeah. like, oh, but it's oh, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fair play. <laughs> and it's worth saying as well that all of the subsequent things that they've put out, um, Citadels and Urn being their other um, full lengths, are also really good. Yeah, like, exactly. there's some amazing stuff there. It's worth going back and listening to all of it, but I think that Portal of Eye really stands as the sort of pure distillation of this formula and just yeah being so sort of on point with every single element but they're really worth exploring they've never released anything that i think is not brilliant
number seven on our list um, is an album from 2019. This is White Ward with Love Exchange Failure. White Ward are a Ukrainian experimental slash post-black metal band formed in 2012, and this is their second full-length album. So this, um, as listeners will know, was our album of the year for 2019, um, and it's this sort of unique combination of this atmospheric mix of jazz and black metal and sort of post-metal, post-rock influences sort of along the lines of Death Heaven. It's one that I've talked about quite a lot and quite a lot recently. I've been listening to a lot recently. So straight away, I'm going to open this one up to you guys. What did you think of White Ward? So I was um, wrapping my Christmas presents when I was listening to this. And it was so incredibly engaging that I just sort of left them on the table and went and sat down and listened to it because it it was, I I found it sort of that immediately engaging. Um, I think it's black metal, but it's black metal with like an atmospheric smooth jazz influence. Um, They have um, a previous album from 2017, uh, Futility Report, uh, and I had listened to that as well. Um, but uh, Love Exchange Failure, I think, is, is a lot more subtle. It's a lot less traditionally black metal. The uh, black metal and jazz parts flow into each other much more seamlessly, and I think that Love Exchange Failure is a much better album overall. Um, all of the elephants... All of the elephants? All of the elephants. <laughs> there are no elephants in this album. All of the elements <laughs> yeah. come together really well. Um, it creates a really intense atmosphere. The atmosphere is quite subtle, but if you focus on it, it's really quite unnerving. Um and I think, like the for me, the beginning of the album captures that so yeah. well. It starts off with these sort of siren sounds and a city ambience to it, mm. and then you get this horribly sinister, like piano chord that comes yeah. in, this like repeating motif, and then like the soft saxophone comes in, and it yeah. fe- it really feels like you're in the middle of like this sort of noir style city, yeah. and then it gives you this just like pummeling black metal section, which carries this huge emotional weight to it. Um, and it, yeah, it, the jazz is so well integrated into the black yeah. metal here. It just feels so natural as part of it. I love how it, it still feels cold in the way that black metal sort of conveys cold generally. But it, it, as you say, it's very like bleak modern cityscape cold, not snowy pine forest kind of cold. Um, I felt like the atmosphere was, uh, combining it with the vocals, is sort of a, the theme is sort of a, a sort of numbness and accept, acceptance of the sort of bleakness of existence with like bits of intense despair mixed in with it and I think the sort of smooth sort of jazz for the sad sadder elements and the traditional black metal for the anger elements work really well together for that um I did look at the lyrics um they seem to be about someone who feels driven to commit acts of brutality because the way society is has sort of forced them to become something evil and it's implicit that the way modern humanity modern human society is set up and the sort of toxic social norms make that inevitable, and he didn't, or they didn't have any choice in it, uh, which I thought was a really interesting theme. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I really enjoyed the album. It, ten- it took me a few listens to get into it. I'm not really into black metal, black metal usually, um, but yeah, after a few listens, I really got into it. I am. Um, I quite like post rock and that element to this album. I, I really enjoyed um, the sort of noir feel. I thought was really engaging as well. Um, I guess it's kind of almost like neo noir, I suppose. You could sort of imagine this this playing in like a club in um, uh, Blade Runner or something. I don't mm. know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I love the, the consistency of how we feel about this because literally my <laughs> notes are noir but eighties cityscape. I'm a brooding detective, and there's always a saxophone <laughs> playing yeah. wherever I go. Yeah. Like I definitely had a really strong visual um, with mm. this, um, especially even then. There's yeah, like there's such a broad 
kind of different like range of sounds going on but with, with the piano particularly by the the beginning of the piano it kind of comes in quite subtly and it kind of weaves in by the end of the piano where it kind of really is going for it I'm like is this the detective he's playing it in an empty room <laughs> like and yeah. it represents his love life or his alcoholism mm-hmm. at the same time <laughs> like it was a whole journey I went on with this album which I I liked quite a lot considering I don't really like the saxophone or jazz <laughs> which yeah um, I was, I was, yeah, definitely won over. I think like mm. it, it, it incorporates surprisingly well. Like it, definitely doesn't feel jarring at all. Like it is a really consistent, if odd, theme of this kind of noir cityscape. Mm. And I like what Mel said about it feeling not like forest cold, but city cold. And <laughs> I think different. this is this is again something we talked about when we were talking about this album the other time. But a lot of metal focuses on non-urban environments, so it's mm. about war, it's about nature. And all these sort of themes, not that much metal focuses on what it's like living in a modern day city. Like mm. it's something that's quite hard to wrap your head around that sort of coldness and isolation, the difficulty of dealing with modern life, of being so sort of compressed around so many other people with so many things going on. And I think this album like really gets that feeling, yeah. that dehumanization of being around such a sea of humanity, but not feeling like you belong to it in any way. Which black metal is so perfect for, and it kind of surprises me that actually no one, you know, it's mm. not been kind of done more so. But maybe we just, I just haven't found it. I think it's one of those themes that is emerging in black metal mm. at the moment. And you're right, the black metal is exactly the right thing because the aggressive parts of this, and like Mel was saying, with the you're just being so crushed by the world that you're just driven to doing these brutal things to try to feel alive in some way. Black metal's so good for getting out that like burst of anger and feeling like in a sort of unordered way of just that pure emotion. And the heavy parts of this do that so well with the screams on top. Like black metal is so well suited for that. And then the jazz gives it this like almost the physical setting that you can mm-hmm. see in your mind's eye as you're listening to it. Yeah, I think because it's like a, a smooth jazz with like with the saxophone i think that that works for me a lot more than um some of the more kind of avant-garde experimental sax jazz sax that are on some of the other albums that we'll cover um <laughs> we know what you're talking about Ollie. yeah we do <laughs> but yeah that 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 didn't really work for me but this this did yeah i've never considered myself a black metal fan before but this album made me reconsider that maybe i'm just listening to the wrong black metal yeah. The other thing is, obviously, so I read the, the description of the they call themselves, yeah, like a, a black metal jazz band. The album cover really well conveys that, because I saw the album cover yeah. before I listened to it, and I thought, that's really unusual. That's what, not what I would assume a black metal album cover would look yeah. like. It's like you're saying, it's an urban yeah. environment. It actually yeah. fits the whole noir style really well. Mm. Yeah. Was that the one with the sunset? Uh, it's kind of like like a bird's, like, not bird's eye view, but it's sort of high up. It's mm. like a blurred kind of thing. Yeah, it almost feels like they should have their, um, their band name, um, like made out of like signposts or something rather than like mm. the, the traditional black metal oh, yeah. twigs or whatever it's supposed to yeah. look like yeah. <laughs> but then there's a huge amount of variation as well because it starts off I think particularly the first half of the album it's got that sort of jazz undertones and it's got these black metal parts but then when you get to the second half with songs like Surfaces and Depths which have got these this female vocalist on it and Uncanny Delusions which has this sort of um, garm like from Olver male vocalist on there which feels quite jazzy and very different I really felt like there was a bit of like an evolution in this album. It started off and it was really furious and it didn't lose that ferocity, but it ga- began to bring in lots of other elements. I don't know how you guys found with the different vocal styles coming in. I, I really liked all of the different vocal styles, which is unusual for me because I'm normally really picky about vocals. Um, mm. But yeah, there, there was so many different vocal styles and they all seemed to fit, which was really unusual. And um, something else like the kick drum was really subtle, but sounded really, really nice. 
Yeah. And I, I think um, Services and Depths was such a good one for that because it has this really nice bass groove on it, which the kick mirrors exactly. Yeah. It feels like sort of a like Tool-style progressive metal riff, which is somehow put on top of jazz. And it really drives the whole thing. And then you have these really lovely female vocals coming in. And it, fe- it sounds like a jazz kit. It doesn't sound like a metal drum kit. Like the snare is quite light. It doesn't have this huge boom to it. But it can still pull out a blast beat from it. Yeah. I really yeah. liked the, the kind of, yeah, the, the, the evolution it went on. Because it, it really kept my interest. Because um, a lot of the time with more kind of black metal stuff, I, I can find it a bit kind of oppressive and kind of lose interest towards the end. But particularly because you've got, it kind of feels broken up by Shelter and like the kind of long piano section, which is my absolute favourite moment. I like, I love the piano. That was really amazing. And then, yeah, you're like, oh, and suddenly you've got like this kind of jazz, like female vocals happening and then different, vo- yeah, I really thought it was really effective and really kind of, yeah. Again, I feel like all of these I've been surprised about how much I like them. Yeah, Maybe I should listen to more music that's you <laughs> and outside my comfort zone. But um, yeah, I, I did really like that element of it. And how did you guys get on with the sort of length of the album? Because it's 68 minutes long and it's got it's got three 12-minute songs, a 10-minute song, an 8-minute song, and then two pretty much six-minute. So these are huge compositions. I really I didn't, didn't notice it was that yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. no, because, because of the variance of sounds and the way it goes through. It doesn't feel like one long block of music. Yeah. yeah. I think the first time I listened to it, I, I struggled that part a little bit, the fact that it was quite long. Um, but the second time, it, it, it went a lot quicker. Mm. Yeah, I certainly found that as well. With songs like um, um, Dead Heart Confessions, there's this sort of, I'm not sure if it's really a chorus, but there's a chorus-like moment in it which is quite heavy. But the drums keep switching up, and then once it moves out of that into another section, the sax sort of comes back in like quite softly and quite subtly, but always makes it feel a little bit different. So even when you've got a 12-minute song, there's so many elements that they're chopping and changing all the time, developing these sort of subtle atmospheres. And then even when it goes from like a soft section and just cuts and goes straight into a really aggressive section, the atmosphere feels consistent. Mm. It always feels like, even if it is like slightly jarring at first, that it made sense for the song to do that at any given time. So all of these sort of movements throughout these 12-minute songs make sense. That's what, like, when good post-rock does that kind of thing, it's got, it's much more kind of bigger, more like classical constructed kind of songs rather than just like here's three minutes of a thing and here's three minutes of another thing mm. um yeah i kind of really got that sense and yeah, it did make it make it easier to kind of go through even though as it turns out it was over an hour long yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, yeah and, and less focused just on i suppose just chaining a bunch of riffs together that sound cool and yeah. more on like post-rock does really well on creating this emotional atmosphere that you get sucked into so mm. you're not really paying attention to oh this is quite a cool riff you're sort of lost in the feeling of the music itself definitely yeah, yeah. I completely agree. It's got like it feels like big, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it definitely felt big. Yeah. While also it was like crushing you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oppressive cityness. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I really like because I'm a big fan of bands like Burren and De Club of Gore and all these like weird. I guess they sort of call themselves doom jazz, which I'm not sure is a real genre. <laughs> but there's plenty of sort of dark jazz and that sort of thing. It's really nice to see metal bands taking inspiration from that sort of genre because it has a similar atmosphere of this unnerving, slow and ambient and seeing that be brought into black metal is such a sort of perfect match. I think jazz has a sort of similar sort of desire for technicality as well as metal, which means that they they work well together. I've liked all of the jazz uh, influenced metal that I've heard so far, so I'd quite like to explore more of that. Definitely. Anything else about White Ward? 
I yeah. feel good. So I think, yeah, it's just one of those albums that it's so nicely embedded jazz within a black metal, sort of post-black metal setting. It's, yeah. it's one of the best in terms of actually integrating it fully into yeah. the sound where it sounds perfectly natural rather yeah. than what you might think of just being something that you've added on as it's an interesting element. It's not even element. sort of transitions, just transitions between black metal parts and jazz parts. Sometimes it's both at the same time and they exactly. work perfectly well. Number six on our top ten albums of the decade is Ruins of Beverest with Exuvia. Now, Ruins of Beverest are a German one-man project helmed by Alexander Meilenwald. I'm sorry if I've said that wrong. Um, this Exuvia is their fifth album. 
this one takes a bit of a turn from what Ruins of Beverest have done previously. And it, to me, when I first listened to it, I thought, well, this is a Funeral Doom album, which is taking a lot of influence from black metal. But if you go back and listen to Ruins of Beverest, there are much more much more black metal presence in a lot of the earlier albums. So what, to me, this album sounds like is someone has come at Funeral Doom from a black metal perspective. So it ends up creating this sort of breathtakingly atmospheric Funeral Doom core that incorporates the ambience and the atmosphere from black metal, while still managing to have riffs that wouldn't be out of place in quite a slow death metal band, and just creates this incredible really quite sad but hypnotic atmosphere over what is a mammoth album but it i think i really like that it's used those influences from black metal to change something about funeral doom how did you guys get on with ruins of beverest i actually really enjoyed it um i was surprised at that because i'm like i said before i'm not really into black metal but um it didn't the vocals, the black metal style of vocals, usually I find them a bit grating, I guess, but I didn't really find that with this album. I thought that the vocals sounded more uh, more deathy than anything, I suppose. Mm. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good album. It felt emotionally draining to go through. Oh, absolutely. But it was good, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked the more kind of doomy aspects mm. um, yeah. Yeah, and the kind so. of slowness. Yeah, and the kind of almost like Ahab-like moments. Mm. It felt yeah. like Ahab, but a bit weirder. Yeah. And a bit more chill. <laughs> yeah, because like sort of Funeral Doom, this album is like hugely slow. It takes mm. so much time. It builds up these enormous sort of very simplistic but very emotionally charged sort of guitar leads over the top. It's got a lot of sort of chimes, chanting and synths that mm. are brought into it. What feels a lot of the time like Native American chanting. There's some hand percussion, which feels quite tribal as well, which is included in it, which gives it a really nice sort of organic feel to it yeah. it doesn't feel sterile it feels real and then there's these sort of hypnotic passages as well which almost feel like sort of um Arancy pazuzu or blue tass nord they feel kind of black metally but are used in a completely different context over a far slower like much giving it much more time to develop rather than what would normally be sort of faster and more aggressive music yeah, I really like those elements, those kind of, yeah, whether they sounded kind of maybe Native American or, maybe, or Middle Eastern at some mm, points. I mm. couldn't really get a sense of where it was coming from exactly, but I, I liked, yeah, like, particularly the, just the initial opening vocals from that moment, you're like, oh, this is weird. Like, yeah. but I'm into it. It was weird. Yeah, it was like, they were so effectively disturbing um, and the kind of chants that didn't quite, you know, that you're like, are you okay? No, like, that. Yeah. these people yeah. are not okay, whatever the noises they're making, but it was, yeah, very eerie like the whole thing and there's, there's one bit where they use the charms almost like breakcore or dance music or something where it like <laughs> comes in and keeps stabbing in in a really yeah. interesting way mm. and i'd never thought i'd hear something in something so doomy and slow that they'd make such an interesting use of or like something that's clearly been sampled in some way which i yeah, thought was really interesting definitely um, yeah yeah i think to me it almost had sort of like a, a groove metal sound to it in places that i i think that's probably what i enjoyed about it um but yeah i, I thought it was a really good album the um, i'm not sure how i felt about the chance um and I, I wonder given the um the album cover as well is it native american because it i thought the, the sure. album cover looked I don't so, know so it, it seems like the lyrics are sort of very mythological, but mythology from everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're trying to just create a sort of 
person who comes from a sort of more historical tribal society but not like lock them down to a specific tribal society or something like that. So from, from what I understand, there's certainly parts that are directly Native American inspired. So some of the percussion that you use, that's used it are Native American instruments. Um, and in Towards Malachia, there is actually a real Native American war chant that's used. One of the chants yeah, wow. in there is a real chant. But there were parts of it that made me feel more like a sort of Siberian steppe in a way. Yeah. How sort of yeah. cold and like absent everything was there's so much space because it's so slow which is filled by just the crushing heaviness of the music and then there's these chanting sections and these sort of subtle guitar parts on top which give it this ominous atmosphere i I really thought the sort of the especially from the first track but also throughout the album the sort of repetition of simple patterns over and over again sort of short simplistic parts with other aspects built up over the top of them really works well to create a sort of hostile terrifying sort of despairing atmosphere mm. i thought in the uh, the gaia passage from exuvia it was just like immediately and profoundly sad and that was like a sudden sort of switch from ominous to sad and i thought mm. that was really well done um yeah again uh, really really great drum tone there's lots of albums with really great drum tones in this list though so i could probably say that about the vast majority of them and I'd say the guitar tone as well. Like, this guitar tone could fit in a Swedish death metal band. Mm. It's actually, like, real. It's got, like, a real sort of buzz and heaviness to it. And I think, like Ollie was saying earlier, there are bits of this where there's some quite groovy riffs in it, mm. like, which actually, like, pick up the pace a little bit. And you don't really notice until it's going, but there's a couple of blast beats in here, like, <laughs> hiding away within it. There's bits which are, like, full-on black metal, and there's bits which feel like much groovier death metal but it carries the whole thing so seamlessly and takes in all of these elements. And one of the things, again, I think about a lot of the albums we're talking about today is the best albums are made when someone comes at a particular genre but takes influences from unusual places. So from here, we've got someone who's coming from a black metal perspective, making something that's really doomy and slow, but taking all of that black metal influence in terms of the ambience, but then bringing in these crushing, heavy riffs from death metal and doom, and somehow pulling that together with that atmosphere to create something that sort of sounds like Funeral Doom, but is very unique. Like, you couldn't get this from Ahab or from Esoteric. Like, they they aren't pulling from the same sort of inspiration pool that Ruins of Beverast are. Yeah, I feel that's like, it's, it's kind of a, a theme of most of the albums that we've listened to, is that they're all breaking the boundaries. They're, 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 they've all got some unique element to them, uh, some unique fusion of different genres, and it, 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 it works really well on all of them, I think. Well, yeah. except one, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to that. But it's, it's also, like, for something that comes from black metal, it's got a huge low end as well. The guitars and the bass as well form this, like, monstrous low part of it, where when you've got these far higher sort of acoustic passages or, like, slightly distorted guitar passages, you've got this like huge bass which sits with the sort of low end guitars as well which just creates this huge crushing feeling which is something that I think a lot of the time black metal can slightly struggle with with these faster tremolo picked riffs it can sound really intense but you sometimes lose that really powerful low end but from doom and death metal it gets that huge low end which makes it feel massive and atmospheric and scary and sad sort of all at the same time I know that explains why I felt like more comfortable with this than yeah. some of the other. I was like, oh, that's why because of the head, like the low, heavy, like bass end of it and the guitar and the more kind of. Yeah, okay. I felt the vocals particularly had 
oh, that yeah. kind of more death doom vibe. Yeah, there were some the some really unusual patterns to the vocals, which are mm. really nice. Um, and there, there's bagpipes. There's definitely bagpipes. I remember there being. I don't know I if they were bagpipes, they were but there was something that sounded very much like bagpipes. Mm. It's just a um, bagpipe effect for me. <laughs> there's <laughs> definitely a flute in this. Um, towards Malachi, I believe, starts with quite like a sharp flute note. Um, which, again, I believe is taken from Native American instruments from what I was reading about this. Ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm still astounded that this was all put together by one person. Mm, yes. I, know. I have no idea. It's really, really impressive. impressive. <laughs> and going, going to things like the drums as well, like the, oh, the reverb I found really interesting. Like The toms sound enormous. Yes, it's yeah, wonderful. I really like that. They sound like they're being recorded in a cathedral or something, and the same with the snare. But then the, the kick drums don't actually have a huge amount of reverb on them. They sound really solid. So I think that's an interesting sort of nod towards something more death metal where you've got a kick which is just really firmly placing you in the moment mm. while the toms and snare sound like they're being played about five miles away and you can <laughs> yeah. just about hear the echo of it coming in um, and I thought that really nicely summed up the interesting mix of genres that's going on here Yeah, yeah I had a, a quick read of the lyrics um, it seemed to be very very sort of deep largely impenetrable mythology um, there were a lot, uh, but I think it's a metaphor. So I, I think it's sort of the concept seems to be a vision or nightmare granted to someone who's sort of like someone from a tribal society who sort of sees what humanity is going to become in the future and then sort of prays to their gods, sort of asking them why and what were they going to do about it. Um, yeah, the, there's lots of um, metaphorical. Uh, mythological metaphors you've got Gaia as a representation of nature uh, Echidna which is another Greek I believe god who is the mother of monsters uh, and that's sort of there to represent how humanity kind of then becomes distinct from nature and starts creating horrible things by themselves I think uh, <laughs> it's not it's not very clear I'm just reading stuff into it. Uh, it it's it's really cool and the imagery is really cool uh, lyrically but it does it does feel like that sort of introspective spiritual trance yeah. It's less, it is still melancholic, but it's not in the way that Ahab might be melancholic. It feels more sort of looking inwards than it does just about like horrible tragedies or something like that. But I think it's looking inwards as in like the horrible tragedies are are similarly to White Ward actually, like inherent to humanity and Mm. not something you can escape from because they're within you and everyone else. And then as well, there's quite a variation with the vocals. So there's there's oh, yeah, some absolutely. like there's some chants that feel almost warm at times on it. And then there's these mournful cleans. And I really feel the harsh vocals sort of straddle the line between sometimes it's like a black metal shriek, and then sometimes it's just sort of a really solid death metal sound, which mm. you might expect from Ahab or something like that. Yeah, I felt very reassured by the death vocals. They were like, <laughs> well, both that and like the the um, kind of the drum sound like really like grounds you, and like, mm, I think that yeah. that helps if you've got these kind of like Native American type influences or kind of more like folk instruments. I suppose having that kind of grounded feeling, um, I feel like it makes it much more coherent um, rather than kind of being like everything is kind of cold and icy black metal, and then mm. being like, and now we've got something folky. Sometimes yeah. I find that can have a bit yeah. of a disconnect. Whereas yeah, this absolutely. felt very organic. Yeah, it, it feels real and in the moment as if you are watching an entire band playing, yeah. which is all the more amazing because it is just, just one, one person. Yeah. Um, he does tour with like session musicians, doesn't he? Yes, yeah, he does. Um, although I've, I've never, I don't know if they've played much um, outside of Europe um, or sort of over here in the UK. But I would, I would be amazed to see what this sounds like in a live yeah. setting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, he's German, isn't he? German, yeah. Um, any other thoughts on Ruins of Beverest? 
Again, I just really like the production because I think, um, mm. yeah, like you say, it's quite mythological. I found, like, when I was listening, I found it quite shamanic or it felt a bit like a biblical mm. journey or something. Mm. So the production I found was quite sandy and it really reminded me of, like, Jesus' journey through the desert or something. Yes. Like a harrowing journey to find enlightenment. I think the production really reflected that as well, the atmosphere. I think there's a lot here and I, I think, because I only listened to, I only had time to listen to this once, um, like, at least half of the albums in, in this list I'm going to go back to because I'm sure there's lots of stuff that I just completely missed on first listening. Yeah, I could see myself going back to listen, mm. listening to it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is this is a huge album as well. Like this is It's a Funeral Doom album. It's really long. It's really slow. There's a lot going on and it builds very subtly. There's a lot of restraint to the drums as well. There's bits where it could be filled with more, but it's not. And you're just sort of left to sit in that space. So there's loads to explore here. Um but yeah, a really, really interesting take on sort of death metal, doom, and black metal all coming together to make something that feels like funeral doom, but from a completely different perspective. What year did you cover this? Um, we covered this earlier this year for our 50th episode, actually. Oh, okay. This was a suggestion from um, a listener, which is an amazing one, because, yeah, since I've been listening to this a lot. Do you know who it was? I can't remember. I'd have to, I'd have to check with Phil. <laughs> But yeah, um, slot that in there. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll slot that in and edit. But yeah, an, an absolutely stunning album from Ruins of Beverest. And it is worth going back to check out some of the other stuff they've got as well. It's much more sort of black metal themed, but you can really see the journey that they've come on to incorporating more of these death metal elements and finally this like far doomier version of that.
At number five on our list is an album from Shining. This is their fifth album, Black Jazz, and for context, this is the Norwegian Shining. Um, so they're from Oslo, and this album is a really interesting mix of sort of things that are intensely catchy and their moments that are complete musical insanity, which to my mind takes a lot of the bizarre structures that you might find in jazz, but uses metal instrumentation. So it will have moments that feel almost like muse, and then it will have parts which feel like noise rock mixed with heavy metal. So this this is one that I've listened to for a long time, and there's just nothing else that sounds quite like this. And even after this, Shining have still put out a really interesting selection of albums, but nothing has quite captured this weird mix of catchiness and insanity quite in the way Black Jazz has. How did you guys get on with Black Jazz? So, I mean, this is a compliment because I love this album, but it's absolutely disgusting. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, like, even though the production stuff, it's, it's really in- intentionally meant to be quite intense and off-putting, but it's fucking fantastic. It makes you feel slightly ill and uncomfortable, yeah. but in the best possible way. Like, but it's a bop from start to finish. Like, particularly, like, Fish Eye and Exit Sun, I'm, like, actively, like, oh, this is such a, like, catchy, like, fun melody. And the fact that it is, is kind of veers wildly between genres... And because it's all so discordant, it also mm. works, but it's so like upbeat and kind of aggressive, but in a fun way that I really liked. It's very fun. Yeah, it's yeah. Really fun. Like as a bit of a change from, let's be honest, the rest of this uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> top ten. Yeah, like, like um, some of the melodies because they're actually almost a little bit poppy. Like you can sort of oh, yeah, hum them and tap your foot, and but like, then also it's yeah. just put through this filter and it's really and like the and... the, the um, like riffs in Exit Sun is so muse like. Like every yes, time that hits, yes. I'm like, oh, is this? I'm sorry, are we listen to Newborn. Like it's yeah. it's yeah. Like is it the bass? R- I don't know what's happening there with the instruments, but it is so. Yeah, like that kind of like pop rock, like much more like groovy rock, mm. um, kind of than heavy metal. But then it also is really heavy. But it's very it makes it very listenable in terms of the heaviness. Not so listenable in terms of how insane and kind of yeah. The <laughs> but the yeah, so I think the interesting point on the sort of like how dirty it sounds. Like the production yeah. of it's really interesting in such a way that the guitars and the electronic elements almost sound the same at certain points, and yeah, it really absolutely. reminds me of. Um, sort of when hard rock and heavy metal were starting off with bands like Deep Purple who would take a Hammond organ and a guitar and try to push them to sound as extreme as each other. This is like that, but turned up to a million, where like your guitar tone sounds like it could be a keyboard somehow. And you're trying to piece together what instrument is making what noise, and yet somehow getting caught up in the catchiness of all of these riffs. And then drums that will like just jump around the place with these lightning fills. And then every now and then they'll just sit and hold a groove. And you just won't know when that's going to come. And from the get-go with Madness and the Damage Done, it really sums it up because it has hugely catchy riffs, incredibly distorted vocals, and then will jump around a lot as well. They don't open you up with something like Fisheye, which is obviously catchy. Mm. They open you up with one which is catchy and mad at the same mm. time. Totally. And there is that yeah that sense of everything's being pushed a little bit like too far, but all kind of mm. working. And it's very kind of inorganic, all very kind of almost like industrial. Like this has been created in a lab somewhere. This is not a natural thing that has <laughs> mm. emerged from the forest. This is properly mm. like this is, this is a human creation, um, which is, yeah, The Madness and the Damage Done feels like a good title to kind of sum that up. But. And then as, then as you get further into the album, they flip it all again and introduce a saxophone. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And then Jürgen Munk could be playing sax, like which gives, you know, has that organic texture of a saxophone. Mm. It's not been put through any of these weird electronic filters that everything else is through. 
but the way he plays it is just bizarre. Like yeah. there's, you've never heard a saxophone played like this before until you've heard Jürgen. And Jürgen has been like a sort of staple of the metal scene, playing saxophone with Ishan as well, where he's done similar things of just this bizarre, really fast, sort of slightly discordant at times saxophone playing, bringing these huge moments over the top of these riffs. And it's an instrument you absolutely wouldn't expect to hear. You'd expect more industrial electronic elements. Mm. And then it somehow takes a saxophone and then pushes it and just says, no, the saxophone's going to do this genre now as well. Yeah, and it totally, totally works. Like, and the kind of the like the stretched, like far ends of the tone of the saxophone are so like kind of weird and like harsh sounding. I feel like it really fits with the kind of guitars and the kind of weird like pushed vocals. All mm. yeah, it feels like it's all kind of been pushed a little bit too far, but in a good way. And I feel like I remember listening to this album when it came out. Um, in t- 2010, yeah. 10 years ago. I remember <laughs> listening to, like, for, like, must have listened to the first song and completely, re- I mean, my whole brain rejected it. I was like, absolutely not. 100% no. I was like, it is too much. There was too much noise. There was too much dropping and changing. Like, so I was, so, and I'd literally just kind of written it off since, for a whole, for a decade. And then, coming back and listening to it now I was like wait no this is this is amazing and I feel like it's like the 10 years that my brain has taken to like evolve enough to be ready for this album <laughs> like definitely at 17 my brain was not really <laughs> fully like able to do it same thing listening to like necrophages for the first time mm. I was just like this is literally my brain cannot handle the amount of stuff happening but yeah totally totally love it now and it's it's my new like getting down to business at work kind of album of like right I've That's I've cool. got a deadline I've got to really get on it because it's so like it's the energy level stays up like mm. so much um, I was talking to Phil about this earlier as a bit of a side note but I love being at work doing a sort of really basic admin task but listening to something like this yeah, where there's absolutely. just so much madness going on inside your head and no one around you has any idea <laughs> oh yeah it's so much very good yeah. getting up in the morning when you really <laughs> oh god <laughs> you oh, have I, a heart attack <laughs> this oh, yeah, I think oh no <laughs> when I get up in the morning I just, just can't anything so I need like, right. essentially someone to just like scream in my ears for a bit until I can wake up well this uh, would do that like yeah, no, you're no, like no. I'm being I, I have listened to it I listened to it um <laughs> Many years ago, when I was working on a farm, a residential placement, and you have to get up and like milk the cows or whatever it was at, 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 early in the morning, and it's really great. You have to get up now and milk the cows. <laughs> yes. And you were like, the cows really aggressively. <laughs> and Mel, you've been a fan of this album for a long yes, time. Yes, this so. is actually the album I've probably heard most often on this list, but that's, it is, I think, the earliest album on that, this, that, this list, so that's mm. not entirely fair. Um, I haven't actually listened to it in many, in about three or four years. But it's still definitely worth going back to. Um, I've heard it so many times that I, I, I put it on the other day to listen to and I was like, well, this just seems normal now. <laughs> like, this is just music that I'm very familiar with. I, I really like it. I know exactly how it goes. I know what, what comes next. Um, I think I ever so slightly prefer their previous album, Grindstone, which wasn't released in mm. this decade. Uh, but they, they're very, very different. Um, and Jack, Black Jazz is either my first or second. Like it, it, Those two are the albums of theirs that I really, really like. Um, I always kind of considered it a jazz album with black metal influences rather than a black metal album with jazz influences. Mm. Um, but unlike a lot of other jazz influenced black metal, which is, as you're saying, there's more and more of now, it's less sort of smooth, sad jazz backing up a sort of like melancholy atmosphere and more kind of weird, bouncy, fast paced, crazy jazz with a sort of 
positive anxiety kind of atmosphere. Yeah, which is it, quite it, it takes those bizarre song structures mm. that jazz did. And, you know, like when jazz was first around, people were saying this, you know, this is a corruption of music. This is wrong. <laughs> and I really like how there's sort of a similarity here with yeah. no jazz is now sort of an accepted genre. Mm. Jazz is kind of easy listening, which for the people I know who really like jazz feels so wrong to them because of where it's come from. And now we have the sort of same thing. But if you put it with metal instrumentation, people, even people who like metal will go, what on earth is that? This is a corruption, yeah. yeah. This truly feels yeah. like a corruption. Mm. It's, yeah, it's this a new this way was, to rebel. Um, this, was, this was the first time that I heard this album. And uh, unlike everyone else, this this did not do it for me. <laughs> it, um, I found it really difficult to get into. I mean, it's a super yeah. interesting album with a lot, a lot of in, like innovative ideas. Um, but I just find it too jarring. Like the, it is um, really weird. I think maybe it helped you guys having heard it before and then coming back it to it. It took quite a few um, lessons, I would say. Yeah, I, I tried, but I just <laughs> couldn't get past the sort of jarring, discordant sounds mm, on a lot of it. And yeah, I mean, there were elements that I enjoyed, but then we'd get to like some um, super avant-garde sax, jazz sax part, and I'd be like, <laughs> yes, oh God, yeah. what is this? <laughs> and so yeah, it just, it just uh, didn't do it. I me. once saw I'm them uh, supporting Creator, and one of the creator fans who was stood next to me like uh, at the end of it was just like, I didn't know you could play gentle with a saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I think is really interesting about it is looking it up. So Shining or This Shining aren't on Metal Archives. And I was sort of going through, no, the, I was dis- I was going through the discussion about this and seeing what people had said. And I, I kind of take the point that, in a sense, this isn't really a metal album at all. Like, the guitar tone is not there. Band, it doesn't have the riffs there that any other metal band would have. But the thing that it does for me, which makes me feel the same way about it that I feel like a lot of metal bands, is it has an intensity to it. Yeah. So if I was to describe the heaviest band I know, I might say something like Primitive Man, because it's just got this crushing feeling to it or a doom band or something like that but if I was to talk about something like Strapping Young Lad whilst really heavy the thing that really sells me on them is the intensity of it and Shining gets that like it's oh, so intense yeah that, that makes sense mm. yeah. um, it's and it's industrial and it's sound in taste but at the same time one of the things I really like about it is while it feels like everything else has been pushed through a distortion filter after distortion filter um, the drums actually sound quite organic like if you listen yes. to the beginning of Fisheye the drums sound really real they sound like you're just in a room with a set of drums like they haven't pushed the kick so that it just sounds like a click all of the toms sound real Absolutely. the cymbals ring out so that it sounds like an actual kit and to me it really grounds the album and there's part of the reason why the sax doesn't feel so out of place or it still feels out of place when it comes in but that's sort of part of it there are organic elements which are somehow constraining all of this like weird technical electronic madness that's going on with every other instrument in yeah. terms of the drums as well one thing I really love is the variation of drum volume because the, mm. the drums are often uh, really soft and sometimes they're really m- much more prominent um, and I think it's really unusual nowadays to have that sort of transition between different drum volumes for different um, different sec- sections, which I thought was, was really interesting because it works so well. And I think especially in a lot of modern death metal, the drums are so loud that they can sometimes overshadow what else is going on. And it, you don't always need them to be that loud. Like Sometimes you, you can have them quieter and then building up to being more mm. loud later. And particularly here because in some parts the drums are adding to the sort of insanity of it with these like lightning mm. fast fills. Whereas in some parts, like Fisher is a good example, where they are just holding the whole thing together because yeah. you've got this really nice groove. So using the mix to bring out those different elements at the different times is, is really nice. Like when you first listen to this album, you think, oh my God, what was that? But after a while, you start to think, actually, there's a lot of subtlety that's going on here with all of yeah. the mixing and where all of these parts have been placed. Um, even down to like some of the really catchy vocal lines as mm. well and how they'll vary 
not only the distortion but the volume and the pace of the vocals like in um, Fisheye it's got the 1375 which I've no idea what it means but it's really catchy but then in other places the vocals will be sort of quieter and more part of just the growing insanity around it while another part of this sort of mosaic leads what's yeah. happening in the music I, I really do like the sort of re the way that the sort of re repetition of the simple motifs and the layering of lots of different sounds over the top of each other um do give it a kind of catchiness that you don't normally really get in, in black metal uh, mm. influence stuff at all. Um, and it, it really does help you to focus in on, on, on the atmosphere of it. Um, yeah, I, I think this, that Shining, they're a very unique band. There's nothing that really sounds like them at all. Mm. Um, they're great live as well. Uh, like, really great live. Um, Jürgen is just so enthusiastic and full of energy as a front person, but he's always also like really like honest and genuine and nice to everyone there. And it, it, it it's just yeah, if you have a chance to see them live, I really really recommend it. Yeah, whilst whilst I didn't particularly enjoy the album, it did really stand out for me, even amongst all of these really interesting albums, as being something super unique. Mm -hmm. And it, it really felt like a jazz album that had like a black metal filter placed over it, sort of. Mm. Whereas most yeah. of the albums on here, a lot of them have jazz elements. But it is just that. It's, it's jazzy parts to what is ultimately a metal album. But this, this feels yeah, a lot more jazzy and I don't really like jazz. <laughs> That's probably part of the reason that I find it pretty impenetrable. And so the, the first song that I heard of this album was the cover of 21st Century yeah. Schizoid Man, the King Crimson song. How did you guys find that? I, I really like it. I think it's... I, I, quite, I also quite like King Crimson and I quite like um, the, the, um, that particular album. Uh, I think the cover works really well because it's it's really well selected as a cover to do on that album because it's almost like a declaration of intent because it sort of it builds on a song that's supposed to be as crazy and ridiculous as possible but while adding like a sort of malice to it that isn't as much there in the yeah. original. I, I was amazed they managed to make this song like weirder and more extreme because <laughs> yeah. this is this a really tough song to pick you know from incredible musicians as well. Yeah, I, I think it's incredible. I've seen both King Crimson and Shining perform it live. It's very different when both yeah. <laughs> perform it live, but it, the energy when when Shining perform it is is really incredible. And then, and like halfway through, he just like puts the guitar down and gets the saxophone out and starts running <laughs> up and down the stage, like like blasting out noises on the saxophone, and it's wonderful. Yeah, I played my dad this cover because he really likes the original song, and he said like so he got past the main riff, and he said, "Right now, I'm lost. I don't know what the hell we're doing." <laughs> <laughs> It does. It does do that thing of like you yeah. sort of recognise it at the beginning, and then it just washes it out with all this like electronic noise yeah. and all this distortion, and then you think, fucking flood it. But but I do love how they took this cover and they properly made it their own. Absolutely. They they reinterpreted the song as something completely different, which yeah. I think is the only thing Shining could do with a cover like this. They've taken a song that was already sort of highly energetic and really bizarre, and sort of kept that aspect aspect of it while also tying it into their own sound, mm. which I think is really incredible. And it's such a straight, like as you're saying, it's such a weird song, it, it, and it it is a perfect pick for this album, I think. Absolutely. Um, anything else you'd like to say about Black Jazz? Just thumbs up. Oh, yeah, just um, really, really good. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell the story. I've, I believe I've told it to everyone here first, but I'm going <laughs> to tell it on, on, on the podcast as well. So I was once sort of so um, about four or five years ago, I was listening to this album on my way back home from work, and I was just so sort of. Um, entranced I guess by, by Black Jazz Death Trance actually which was playing uh, at the time I uh, was walking up the hill and I walked straight into a confused 10 year old boy on my walk home because I just wasn't scanning my <laughs> 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 that 
that involved in the like that engaged in the album. Yeah, um, the the auditory elements are enough. It's yeah. overwhelmed visual information. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were saying earlier about working to this. I could not do any work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't work to it. I normally I can use it to sort of like scare myself awake so that I can get to work. I think if I was trying to work this out, I'd end up just typing 1375. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to stop when it's the chorus. Uh, uh, back to it. Yeah. <laughs> so Black Jazz, the, Black Jazz <laughs> yeah. is the perfect album to scare yourself awake. <laughs> At number four on our list is Morbus Cron or Morbus Crone with their album Sweven, which I think is how you pronounce it. So Morbus Crone are a Swedish sort of progressive death metal band. Um, we think from what Ollie's been saying that Morbus Crone probably comes from Crohn's disease. Morbus is in morbidity and Crone is in Crohn's disease. And the album title Sweven, which I just thought was a sort of weird spelling of seven, actually comes from an old English translation of slumber or dreaming. And Morbus Crone are a really interesting take on 
sort of Swedish and Scandinavian death metal. It's a bizarre mix of like creepy death metal because there's really not that much distortion going on. It's quite lightly overdriven, a lot of the guitars. You don't have these huge, monstrous guitar tones that you get in most, particularly Swedish death metal bands. You don't have that HM2 buzzsaw sound. And there's parts of it that feel kind of jazz-influenced. There's melodies that could come out of a band like Agalock, but it all mixes together into something that feels like it should sound really heavy and crushing, but in that weird absence, there's a sort of creepiness to it. And yet it can still be really punishing with some really like brutal like um, screams and like really pounding drums as well. So this is a really interesting take on death metal. What did you guys think of this album? I'm not normally that into death metal, uh, but I really, really, really like this. I think the things that I re- like most about it um, were the changes in emotion conveyed as the album progressed, which I think possibly more so than than any of the other albums in the list. There was a huge range of emotions, and they sort of take the the listener on a journey as the sort of plot of the concept moves on to sort of keep you on board and following the the, the album and the story that goes along with it. Uh, I also really like that overall. I interpreted it as being a sort of happy album with a positive conclusion, um, and that's. And, and like a sort of positive atmosphere towards the end. And I think that's really, really unusual um, and seems to be really difficult to do because it's not very common in metal at all. Um, but I th- I feel like I, I've only listened to this album once. Um, I really liked it, but I'm sure I missed a hell of a lot of stuff uh, and I'm going to gonna go through it again um, and check that. I looked at the lyrics. Um, they seem to be discussing sort of cosmological phenomena as a sort of metaphor for human revel- uh, revelation. Uh, and the protagonist of the the story sort of goes through a, a sort of journey and then decides to make a fundamental change to their life um, in terms of deciding that they're going to move on from their old life, which is bittersweet, but then move on to something else which they think is better or at least less bad. Uh, One of the things that I thought was really interesting about it is most of the album has no vocals on it. Yeah. Three of the tracks are instrumentals, and even on the tracks where you do have vocals, they're quite sparse. So about 50 yeah. or 60% of the album has almost no vocals. And you're left with something that sounds like, you know, a Swedish death metal band or later era death being played by Virus or something Mm. like that with like none of these huge guitars, none of this like massive like pounding drums in your face, but kind of sounding a bit creepy. And through that, they're able to access much more, many more emotive passages. Like there are bits of this, like in the final song, um, Mm. Termina, where you've got these really beautiful melodic guitar parts, which to me sound like they were guitar parts from melodic black metal, like from Agalock or something like that. And then right at the beginning of the album, you've got these like sort of psychedelic, barely overdriven guitars, these like weird, slightly jazzy chord structures, which form these like hypnotic passages, which make these amazing builds. Like the first song sort of completely sold me because it had this really like subtle but slow build and then some brought it into something which felt like death metal, but didn't really sound yeah. like it. It's, it's, sorry, continue. Okay, it, um, one, of the, one of the few notes I have about this is, am I in Twin Peaks? Like, well, yeah. the yeah. guitar tone, like, particularly the opener, um, like, completely had that, yeah, like you said, the kind of slow mm. build of guitar and the kind of weird, like, psychedelic kind of vibe. Mm. I do like um, how it's sort of, it's ominous, and the atmosphere, in, is it Bessus, the first song, sort mm. of builds up, the anxiety so that the anxiety just gets more and more and more but then because i was just like okay this is an anxious album um and then you get to like it stretches in the hollow where it goes to a sort of like more curious adventurous kind of atmosphere 
uh, and then um, you you know you get sort of uh, sort of triumph kind of emotion, and then you've got the perennial link, which is uh, crushing kind of sadness, but with some hopeful elements. And as you say, then you've got terminal with the, the really cool guitar parts that sort of sound triumphant but with bittersweet elements mm. and it's just such a weird like the, the emotions seem really clear the entire way but there's no no like well there's very minimal lyrics and minimal vocals and it's all conveyed through the the music and it, it, it transitions so smoothly between those emotions as well and it's got this really nice use of different guitar settings so on out towards a dark sky it's got an introduction with these really nice clean guitars jumping into the overdriven stuff and then moves into like a tremolo picked riff, which sounds like a blackened death metal riff, but it doesn't have the production that you're used to or the sounds that you're used to on that. And the album like moves between these acoustic, these barely overdriven, and then these slightly heavier moments, like all the time managing to integrate them into something which, to some extent, you might think, well, this doesn't actually sound very heavy, but it's carrying so much emotion within those different parts that it is still like really engaging. Absolutely. And the, the sort of transitions between the faster and slower and heavy and ostensibly less heavy kind of... Uh, and between the tracks as well. It, it, it's, it's so smooth, I didn't know mm. where one bit sort of started and another bit ended. Um, and with the, the vocals, I mean, as you say, there's not many of them, but when they do occur, they're sort of... They're at the sort of peak of, of emotion related to that song, and uh, I think that, that sounds really good. Um, the drum sound as well, uh, really good. Um, it's not... To, it is a death metal drum sound and that's something that I'm not normally hugely into but it's not too high in the mix it's got a really nice ring out to it um, and it, it sounds precise without sounding overly clicky and I think it's just a really really good uh, drum sound for death metal so as soon as what we're talking about with Shining I feel the drums actually really give this the heaviness mm-hmm. and Absolutely. the grounding because without the drums like this whole thing could feel a little bit ethereal, like a lot of the guitar passages feel like that, like they're sort of these weird hypnotic sections. But because the drums have that very sort of, in a sense, traditional death metal sound, but without overtuning it so it sounds really clicky, they give it this like thorough grounding. And then when you get some of these much faster drum bits where you've got some of these lightning fast fills, suddenly the whole album feels really heavy because you've got this pounding drums. And then the fact that the guitars aren't, you know, with an HM2 distortion on it doesn't really matter. And you're getting heaviness in a very different sense yeah. than you might in a normal death metal band, which is really, really interesting. Um, Ollie and Finn, how did you get on with this album? I didn't really like that one, this one that much, to be honest. Again, so I do like death metal most of the time, but it's not the kind of death metal I'd go for. No, it's very different. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, it didn't feel super or sound super distinct for me. Um, I think because I don't usually listen to extreme metal, and I think the the things that, that Rob and Mel picked out, they weren't things that I would typically yeah. notice very much because I, I'm not... I'm not really uh, an expert on this sort of music. I didn't listen to it very much, so I guess I, I lack the sort of. Uh, it's very subtly ear, done. I guess. As well. <laughs> it, it's perfectly like amazing to just like put on in the background kind of music. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, I, I did enjoy it, and I, I happily put it on. And then I think I was like maybe playing a game or writing or something, and before I knew it, it was it was over, <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, that was all right, but I don't really <laughs> remember any of it. And no, I yeah. think it's quite subtle. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same kind of way about it as a bit more of a kind of backgroundy. Like, um, you know, I definitely felt it was good, but yeah, in the same way to Finn, like I, I like straight up death metal, and the closer it got to that, the more yeah, I enjoyed absolutely. it. I think I, mean, I, was, <laughs> I was very much like, oh, this is a death metal album. Like, I'm normally, I, I, I'm not ambivalent about death metal. I quite like some of it, but a lot of it sounds fairly samey and fairly death metally. How very dare you? Um, <laughs> death metal sounding the same. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah. This. <laughs> 
doesn't say i mean a lot of there's a lot of progressive death metal and i'm aware of a lot of progressive death metal but it sort of it doesn't sound it sounds you can tell that it's death metal but it doesn't you know it has um a much less clicky drum sound it has much more emotion um well it has like much more of a variety of emotion i guess mm. Uh, and as you're saying, the, the, some of the instrumental passages just aren't the kind that you'd find in, in, in a traditional death metal album. Yeah. I, I was really surprised how much I liked it, actually. I think it's one of those albums that you can easily put on in the background. And other than some of the vocals, it's never too sort of outwardly offensive and it could just sort of pass you by. But when you give it a really solid listen, there's a lot of subtlety here. There's loads of interesting things that are going on with the guitars. Um, and the vocals as well I find really interesting. So there's these, they're quite intermittent, so you don't hear them a lot. But when they come in, there's these screams and howls sort of somewhere between John Tardy from Obituary and Chuck Sheldina from Death in the sort of later era. And suddenly it reframes the entire song. What once was this sort of like something that could feel triumphant or just a little bit creepy is suddenly this nightmare because you have these really pained sounding vocals which come in over the top. And I love that the sparseness of them means that when you get some vocals, like it really refocuses you on this and it completely reframes everything you're listening to, which I thought was fascinating because of a lot of death metal, there's sort of a single noise that the front man will make and then that will just keep going throughout the album and you'll have a lot of that and there'll be, you know, there'll be some interesting rhythms to how they do it. But in here, the very presence of vocals is telling you that mm. something big is happening in the song and the use of the more like shrieked rather than a guttural just sort of noise really adds to that emotional moment of it um, and you can you can feel as if the the person singing it and the emotion is is in pain um, particularly on songs like towards a dark sky like you get this real human connection from it despite not being able to tell anything that they're saying or any of the lyrics it's all unimportant because the sound of it carries that emotion and together with the drums manages to make things that aren't particularly distorted sound incredibly heavy and particularly emotionally heavy as well I think definitely with a second listen, probably it would have been better, but mm. you know, I, I didn't do my homework on time, so I only listened to it once. <laughs> but I definitely did, um, yeah, I, I thought the vocals were really, yeah. really something. Yeah. Kind of, I really added something to it, and I, I think um, tracks I picked out was um, Aurora in the Offing, for, like the classic vibes. Um, and then I put I put Ripening Life, and then like mm. two exclamation parks, but I can't remember why I liked that one so much. <laughs> Possibly was that, did that also sound very much Ripening Life has some of the most extreme parts of it where it's got oh, yeah, some be all, like sort of DB blast beat style drums in it. And it, yeah, like the most sort of grating, like grotesque vocal performances in it. I yes, really like those. The sessions. grotesqueness I really enjoyed. Um, and maybe just, maybe the contrast was too much for me. I don't know. Um, with the kind of, the, the rest of it that kind mm. of had a more slower, like contemplative kind of, you'd have to listen to this more to kind of get into it vibe. But I, th I think that's what I really liked about it actually, because mm. it, it did have the transitions between fast and slow and, and that sort of facilitated the, the sort of emotional transition that you, that the album was trying to sort of get you on. Um, I like that apparently I wanted less emotion from the music. <laughs> <laughs> this, this more riffs. This is very emotional though, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. And there, was, there were other really subtle elements, like if you really pay attention to it, there are some subtle like samplings or keys in the background, which just gives it this little extra layer, which is really easy to not notice that any of that's there. But when you sort of really listen to it, like there's so many little builds and so many little elements that go into some of those emotional builds like these keys, which is really easy to miss, but is definitely there. I mean, I'm sure I did. You know, it's so it's so well put together that the a lot of the individual components, because they flow so well into each mm. other, you you could well not be aware of unless you're listening really, really intently. Yeah. And yet, and um, the thing that really stands out to me about it is on repeated listens, like 
even then, every now and then, things like the vocals or the drum patterns would make me sort of sit up and go, hold on, what's going on now? You know, after yeah. these like hypnotic guitar patterns, it then just like comes in and pummels you, but in a way that you're not used to with death metal. And I think that's one of the interesting things is this album almost feels like it's tricking me. It's saying this is going to be heavy death metal and then it's not. But in a way which I found really, really interesting because it took a lot of the motifs, but did them in a completely different way, uh, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. So again, it's taking that sort of, in a sense, some death metal structures and ideas, but then completely reframing them by changing the instrumentation, changing the emotional sort of resonance of the pieces and changing the way that vocals are used almost entirely within death metal. Yeah, no, I agree. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, uh, mustn't forget, it was also produced by Fred Esprit, who was the um, dismember drummer for many years. So it's got that very clear link back to the sort of Swedish death metal scene, but just takes a completely different route with it. Something about that very dismembered drummer sounds. <laughs> I assume you mean the drummer from Dismember. Yeah, yeah the, um, the... <laughs> too soon, that. <laughs> um, are there any other thoughts anyone has about Morbus Crom? I like the Twin Peaks bits. Possibly, yeah. I've been watching a lot of Twin Peaks recently, and it <laughs> did make me think of like specific scenes from the show, and that kind of creepy, sinister. But a little bit of whimsy, mm. like that yeah, kind of yeah. like slightly playful edge. I did, I did enjoy that, and then yeah. yes, did enjoy when it got proper grotesque. Yeah, yeah. I can like your comments. I feel like I've missed a lot, and I need to revisit. I know. I'm now like, oh no, yeah, I feel bad. Like, yeah, it's a really solid album. Like, yeah, yeah. Because the first time I heard it, I just thought it felt a bit colourless. But in retrospect, yeah, I think it sounds like I probably was listening, listening to it with the wrong mindset. Maybe I just missed what it's actually trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think okay. if you come into it expecting like Cannibal Corpse, you're going to come away thinking yeah. what. <laughs> but if you go into it with that much more sort of like, I want to listen. It, it, it almost to me like I'd come to it more with like a listening to like a melodic black metal or something like mm -hmm. that. That sort of headspace is the headspace I want to be in when I listen to this. Mm. Um, but yeah, really interesting album, which for me completely reframed what you can do with a, a death metal album.
number three on our list of top ten albums of the decade is Malady with Of Harm and Salvation. So Malady are an avant-garde German black metal band formed in 2009, um, and they've put out a series of albums and a bunch of EPs as well, particularly one that Phil talked about um, in his list of the top ten EPs of the decade as well. Now Malady, I'm going to make the weird case that Malady are kind of like the David Bowie of black metal. Um, particularly for me in the use of vocals. So Malady are a mix of things that you can see from the first wave of black metal where they've got riffs which sound like it could come out of Merciful Fate, things from the second wave of black metal where they've got a lot of stuff that sounds like early Dark Throne but with really nice production, and then with these complex and then hugely catchy sort of progressive metal sections which blend all of that together somehow. And this sort of mosaic of different influences really reminds me of how David Bowie approached sort of rock and pop, but also in the way that the vocals are used. So the vocal phrasing on this album is really interesting. There's loads of different sort of tones. There's the sort of chanting cleans, black metal shrieks, death metal grunts, and these sort of like black and roll style things that sounds a bit like later era Dark Throne, and then these more like operatic poppy almost cleans which could come out of um, a progressive metal band or a progressive rock band and the way that some of these vocals are structured and the bizarre sort of way that it moves between the saxophone because it's of course it's a saxophone (laughs) and the other sort of guitar segments as well really reminds me of the bizarre sort of lyrical structures and vocal rhythms that David Bowie would use. I don't know if that is going to resonate with anyone, but the weird melange of genres that Malady somehow pulled together into something which can feel incredibly threatening and doomy, and then really like triumphant and cathartic, really reminds me of David Bowie. How did you guys get along with Malady? Oh yeah, I don't really know David Bowie, but that sounds like high praise. Um, I know a lot of people who really, really respect him. Um, yeah, I, I've written in my notes... This is possibly the fillest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I yeah. think that there's possibly one exception that we'll get to later that might be even more the fillest thing I've ever heard. Um, but something like that really caught me about this album was the sort of transition. So the album feels at times like exuberant and overwhelmingly joyful and euphoric. And I thought that was really interesting, sort of the way that is interspersed with a sort of despair and anxiety and pain implied by the rest of the album. It's really weird. It's like a sort of bizarre collage of instruments and musical passages and emotions, but it all just somehow works and fits together. Um, I can't find any lyrics for it, and I think they're in about four different languages. Um, But it seems to be an album about experiencing something particularly horrible, but also finding some sort of euphoria and joy in it. Um, Four four languages is correct. There's Latin, German, Spanish, and English on this album. Yeah, I was really surprised by the the, like all of the German vocals in it. Actually, it was um, was the second band that I've heard that's got mostly German vocals of us going to be in Rammstein obviously. I think they are, um, are they German? Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, they're a German band. Yeah, I was really blown away actually by the, the range of, of vocalisation yeah. in the album. Um, there's a bit of everything really. There's, there's there's vocals that sound like traditional sort of black metal vocals, there's death vocals, there's clean singing, there's elements of spoken word, there's this weird sort of shouting style um, that isn't particularly melodic but you can still make out the, the words, or the lyrics rather, um, and then there's something which I've not really heard before, um, which I guess is where their their sort of plague metal um, thing alludes to, um, and it's it's a weird sort of like growly sound. It sounds almost like 
uh, metal band fronted by like a ghoul or a zombie. Yeah, would, yeah. That's it's really gurgly kind of yeah, like, indeed, kind of yeah. vocals. Is yeah. it the, the phlegmy demon vocals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Exactly. yeah. 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 That was my main note. Was that I was yeah. Is that on the second track? Um, I think um, the mm. kind of the phlegminess and the demonicness. It just completely made me think of there's an episode of Buffy called Fear Itself where they um, raise a fear demon and this is a bit oh, where it's yes. yeah it's like kind of trying to push through the dimensions and you can just use just the kind of the phlegmy growling like mm. kind of screaming like strange noises yeah, no, um, that, that's all I could think of then yeah. um, but, but, I, but a bit, I was a bit I was a bit dubious at first but actually by the end I was enjoying it yeah, um, yeah. yeah. but I, I really love how so there's so many experimental parts of this they're putting oh, like straight up black metal riffs right next to super cathartic like progressive metal almost moving into like symphony x style power metal at some points right next to each other having these like huge range of bizarre vocal structures um and then with you know your piano your cello your saxophone as well and somehow managing to make that all come together into a single package with really long songs which know exactly which parts of them they need to reincorporate and bring back in to bring you those huge moments the thing that I always think of when I talk about this album is um, the song Profunditas, which oh, yes. starts off as this black metal song, and then by the end has just reached this incredible emotional high, where I think he's saying, captor of my soul, which is amazing. Like, it's such a huge... And then they bring the saxophone in, um, and the saxophone as well is used in a really interesting way. So in some of the other bands we've talked about on this episode, the saxophone is really embedded, or it's used to drive the insanity, like in Shining. But in this album, the saxophone is used in lots of different ways. So sometimes it will be quite subtle and it will just be adding these textures. But then it will essentially take the place of guitar solos at some point, like in Profunditas, where when we've got this huge sort of cathartic but slightly sad chorus, the saxophone sort of brings it in and adds these sort of like final parting notes to the whole thing and really drives that emotional high that you're experiencing at that point. And then at times the saxophone will be used as part of the extremity. It will be put over things that feel like black metal. And then it will just create this weird sort of dissonance, which really works for black metal. It puts you on edge. It makes you feel a bit weird about the whole thing. And yet then it will pull you back with something that's really cathartic and almost happy. Something about the the saxophone, like you've got three um, black metal or black metal influenced albums with saxophone parts on them. And as you say, it's really surprising how differently you can use a saxophone in at least three different ways in, mm. in, in three different albums that are ostensibly in the same genre or influenced by the same genre. But I think it's one of those things about, because in metal we're so used to having like just guitars, bass and drums and then a vocalist, you know, we all talk about how differently a guitar would sound in death metal to black metal to thrash metal or something like that. And obviously a guitar can be, as an electric guitar, you can do a hell of a lot with it that you perhaps can't with an acoustic instrument like a saxophone. But I think sometimes we forget that a saxophone can be just as varied as a guitar can. And incorporating these instruments, they can be done in almost any style. And seeing metal bands do this and adapt it to their style of playing, like the style of saxophone playing on here would not work in any other band. It only works in Malady. You'd have to take certain elements of it and then you could apply that to another band. But using all of these extra voices adds so much to some of the emotional highs, can add to the intensity, can add to the ambience and the atmosphere of an album. 
there's so much that you can do with these extra musical voices that I'm so glad that Malady have done it in this weird experimental way. And it's becoming much more of a thing in metal in general with like Rivers of Nile who released their album with huge saxophone and people are now really beginning to see, oh, the saxophone's sort of a mainstream thing after, you know, Ishan having done it for years and years and years. People have finally cottoned onto it being part of metal. And I want to see that happen with other instruments. Yeah. You, do, you do that with saxophone. People are like, oh, this, this band is just copying this band because they've got a saxophone in. But no one goes, oh, this band's just copying that band because they've got a guitar. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You, can, you can do different things with an instrument. Yeah. yeah. I was really surprised at what, what these bands, the, the three that, that use the saxophone, just how much different sound you can get out of mm. saxophone. Because I, I didn't really know that. I've not heard saxophone music that much in the past. And yeah, it was, it was quite surprising. Um, I just want to come back to the the, the vocalists or vocalizations mm. in um, in this album as well. Do you know how many vocalists there are in the album? Because I mean, there's so many different sounds. So Jim Grant is the main vocalist for this album. So Malady are sort of a a huge group of different musicians who have come in to do different parts of each album. Um, credited for this album is Jim Grant on vocals, uh, Bjorn Kopler on guitars and lyrics, and Dea on piano, cello, and vocals. So okay. Jim Grant does most of the vocals, but there are backing vocals done by other members, and the saxophone player is not actually credited on the album, despite being credited on other albums and playing saxophone for Melody in other places. So there's a lot of musicians here, but I think most of the vocals are done by Jim Grant. Well, okay, that's really impressive. And um, yeah, just to go back to what you were saying before as well the, just the range of different sounds in this album is, is, is really striking and different instruments that they've managed to, to fit all together and make, make it work I think it's a, a hugely ambitious album Absolutely. it's um, yeah I think of the albums on the list this one this one does stand out as being very ambitious mm. and one of the things I love about it is the way the album closes because you've had this like insane blast of so many different genres being thrown at you with so many vocal stars mm-hmm. so many instruments so much happening and then it closes yeah. out with this lovely piece of like piano which then slowly builds up into what feels like epic classic rock and then with this awesome like Pink Floyd rainbow style yeah, guitar incredible. solo on it it's incredible as well because it's sort of taken you on this whole emotional journey and it you, you get um, the, the final track feels like the initial piano section feels really sad mm. and then you get the guitar solo come in which kind of makes the entire thing feel really joyful even though yeah. you've got the same piano section underneath it it's it's sort of sad and joyful at the same time and i think it does really well and um, now they do this a lot where they reframe the bit you've just been listening to where they'll have like black metal sections and they'll reframe it with other guitar parts or they'll reframe it with a saxophone or they'll change the vocal style and that will change how you're listening to it so you're listening to one bit where you think this just sounds like sort of second wave of black metal but with nice production on it and then they add in sort of like what sound like later dark throne, like black and roll style vocals. And then it, it changes how you're listening to it a little bit. Um, it's also worth saying that, again, the drums on this sound really good for what I believe are programmed drums. Ah, um, really? So it sounds really organic considering how much is going on here. Again, you've got really nice subtle things like really nice cymbal ring out on certain parts of it where it will slow down, like at the end of Profunditas, where things sort of like grind down to a slow halt. You've got some really nice cymbal ring out there which fills in that open space. So I was really impressed yeah. with that as well. It's a really technically prim- proficient album. It's got really smooth transitions. The bass sounds incredible the mm. entire time. I really love the bass sound. I think that the, the sort of smoothness of transitions between the emotions works really well and is a real testament to the writing that not only does it manage to convey like euphoria, which is really rare in metal, as I, as I said b- before, um, it manages to sort of beautifully and smoothly transition this into the sections that convey anguish and despair, and sometimes it does both of them at the same time somehow, which is really, really strange and not something that I'm used to at all. Uh, I really appreciated that. 
and it takes influence from so many parts of extreme metal and heavy metal. So it's got those like classic rock bits. It's got bits that feel like black metal. It's got bits that feel like sort of progressive death metal and then progressive metal. And then it's got bits that feel like sort of doomy sludge where we're getting into the name that they've given themselves of plague metal. Um, songs like um, Abominaris have this like sort of sludgy dirge on the guitar. And then they have these sort of apocalyptic like cleans like ex- clean guitars exchanging with that and then you have these early black metal vocals come in so they take all of these sort of things from different genres and they don't just sort of move from section to section they'll also shove them together yeah. and somehow make that work yeah. and then move sections where they're constantly switching which elements they're mixing together so like yeah. always every single bit of it i can pick out like that's at least three genres that are going on mm-hmm. at any given time and it's so interesting how they've pulled that into you know, I don't think there's a wasted minute on this album, which coming in at an hour and ten minutes is incredible for how much stuff they're trying to marshal together. Yeah. I found it intense and overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so me too, but that's what I really liked about the, the ending, because it feels almost like a, like an epilogue, like you've gone mm. through all this sort of madness, all this craziness, and then it kind of feels like, okay, but you know, the journey's over, now we're just sort of playing you out. Mm. Like a, yeah, I did it feels like the credits would roll to that type of thing. Yeah, so. I did feel like a sense of relief. Yeah. When, I, when it kind of calmed down a bit, just because I think maybe my brain had been broken after too much black jazz uh, by the time I got to this one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was good. I think it was spectacularly good. Um, but my my brain couldn't handle it. It is. This is one of those albums I've listened to a lot, but there's still so much more for me to process in it. Yeah. In a weird way, this is probably one of the hardest ones I had on the list to talk about, just because there's so much stuff here, um, so many things pulled from so many different areas. But I think, Finn, you've hit a really nice point that the album does give you time to chill out sometimes. Mm. You know, it has that moment like the final track and it has moments like on Profunded Tense again where you can relax for a little bit and just sort of relax into the catchiness of it. But then it will just throw you again as soon as you jump into the next song. Um, And I kind of love that about it. It's an album that always keeps me on edge while managing to have incredible emotional highs and be really catchy in certain sections. Definitely one to listen to again. (laughs) And again and again. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a big time investment one. Um, is there anything else we have to say about Malady? Just that it seems, um, yeah, there's just so much to it. It's it's pretty massive. Yeah, I I know they have a lot of other albums and they're very different between albums and EPs as well. So I'm I'm probably going to listen to some of those as well. Yeah, definitely. One of the most sort of interesting experimental bands at the forefront of what can you do by taking inspiration from all styles of metal and pulling it together.
number two on our list of top ten of the decade is Oceans of Slumber with their second album, Winter. So Oceans of Slumber formed as a fairly sort of traditional progressive death metal band. Um, they're from Texas in the US. And then after the first album, they had quite a significant lineup change um, where they gained a new vocalist, Cammie Gilbert. Um, and she, along with Dobber, are sort of the core of the band who've remained to their next album. And Cammie has these amazing sort of clean, bluesy vocals, which in a sense completely revolutionised Oceans of Slumber's sound. And going back and listening to the first album, you can see a lot of the movements which you can hear in this album. Some of the riffing structures are quite similar. The drumming is also incredible. But there's something about this album which crystallised into this perfect storm of progressive metal elements taking from all sorts of genres of metal from sort of like melodic doom to like southern stadium rock to death metal to black metal mixing this with an incredible vocalist who has a very bluesy style which is quite rare in a lot of metal which just created something that was beautifully emotionally charged and musically intricate at the same time um so what did you guys make of winter I really did love this album. It was uh, it was definitely my favorite on the list. Should be number one, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, like you were saying, Cammy's vocals are just fantastic. She's got a beautiful voice, and they contrast so well with the um, with the harsh vocals of the backing vocalists. Um, it's a phenomenal album. It's got a really great sound to it. I was just thinking, I bet I bet I really pissed some people off when they brought her in as a, a new vocalist because um, you know some people can't stand clean vocals. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, and as well, like the things we were talking about before, is um, the drum performance on this is absolutely insane. Um, Dobber Beverly, the drummer, is one of my favourite drummers of all time, particularly at the moment. He's one of those people who can put in an insane number of like jazzy and prog rock fills all over the place and somehow never lose the beat of the song. When you're doing all of this drum work, like it often ends up just sort of taking away. It feels very experimental. It feels quite intense. But Dobber manages to hold really solid grooves, never losing the pace, and yet still put in these tiny little touches that feel just a little bit weird. None of the fills he does sound like traditional metal fills at all. The sort of classic, really fast, going from the snare around the toms. All of his are a little bit weird and move around the kit in slightly unusual ways. He'll quite often go from lower toms upwards, which is really weird. You don't normally see that in metal. It normally just goes sort of straight down them, which sounds really good. But Dobber will vary this up at all times and can also put in incredible blast beats, which add huge amounts to the like more black metal-y sections of this. So he can add this really jazzy but also extreme metal drumming to it, which constantly keeps it interesting, even on more simplistic riffs. Yeah, they've, apparently they've been called a female-fronted opeth by Canadian magazine Noisy, which, uh, again, I'm sure a lot of people won't be happy with. It feels somewhat appropriate. I mean, obviously opeth have popularised melodic death metal more than any other band, I would argue. And, um, and you know, and they are a melodic, like, uh, melodic death metal or melodic black metal. They are melodic extreme metal. Um, so, yeah, there is that. But at the same time, I, I, I do think it's quite unfair. Oceans of Slumber... Um, they are the same genre, but at the same time, they differ so much in their style. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that that's fair, really. Yeah, it's um, a reductive just to be like, I mean, oh, it's female fronted. Oh, it's a female version of this yeah. thing. You're like, no, mm. it's, it's like different and it's like extremely good. Yeah, like in a different way, I would say. Yeah. I think it has much more of a sort of death doom feel, and the, the mm. much less of a folk influence really than than Opeth does, or at least mm. a folk influence from a very different part of the world. It feels like a lot of the influences from this are coming from 
in a sense, more contemporary things than Opeth. Opeth take a lot of inspiration from, like, you know, weird 60s prog and stuff mm. like that that no one has listened to bar Michael Ackerfeld and probably <laughs> Phil. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, but some of the stuff on here that I think is interesting, like, there's so many songs where you can pick out where they've taken particular influence. So on songs like Sunlight, it feels like slow and, like, melodic doom. On songs like Suffer the Last Bridge, uh, they've said that this song is sort of written as their tribute to, like, Southern American stadium rock and it really feels like that something like Devout has these blast beat sections that feel like black metal and then Apolog is their sort of tribute to death metal it's the bit that's got the really like chuggy sections on it like the bits that feel apocalyptic and takes from all those influences and you can really hear those distinct bits but there's a completely unique touch on it the way that the sort of guitars are interwoven with other elements such as the synths and the pianos in some cases, as well as the huge vocal variety. So we've got Cammy's vocals as well, but I think you guys were saying you were really into the backing vocalists as well. Yeah, I think it worked really well. I think um, mm. the juxtaposition between the two styles, it complements each other really well. Well, it's quite the fact that the backing vocals actually disappear for a large, mid, large midsection of the album. Mm. So it's on, yeah. on the first track, but then after that it just goes back to her sing floor. So it's almost a surprise when they come back and you think, oh yeah, I forgot that yeah. this like yeah. side of the music existed as well. Yeah. It's a very melodic album. Mm. It's much more melodic, I think, than any of the other albums on the list. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful album, I think. Coming Circles again, like, so amazing. Um, yeah, I think it, it works really well with the heavy music. But I love what they do with some of the mixing of the vocals oh, yeah. as well. So when you get on something like Apolog, there's this sort of um, slow bit where it says, um, the lyrics are, whispers in your ear, baby, it will be all right. But that bit not only is in the normal vocal track, but there's a whispered vocal track which just goes in one ear of the headphones. Mm. So like it's like it's so creepy and unsettling <laughs> that you've got the main vocal track and then there's just this other one that just pops in and it's yeah, a whisper yeah. like there's just there. There's a lot there. of really great layering of, of yeah. different vocal styles over each other and it works so well. Yeah, because then on, again on Apolog there's loads of the harsh vocals from the backing vocalists and I believe when we covered them before, actually on the first episode of the podcast, the backing vocalists aren't actually the musicians who played on this album. They're some of the musicians from the previous album. But when we've seen them live, the musicians who were currently there, again, there have been another bit of a lineup change, but um, Sean Gray, uh, Keegan Kelly and Anthony Contreras, who were the musicians for this album, they did the backing vocals amazingly. Like Keegan Kelly could do this really great like high-pitched black metal scream, which he'd used to introduce some of the much heavier parts. Sean Gray had this more, um, or Sean Gary, I think, had this more like almost hardcore style death metal vocal which like gave this real crunch to songs like Apolog and then Anthony Contreras did some of the backing vocals along with the other members on songs like Sunlight where it had this really mournful like group clean section which came on it um, which just gave so much texture to the album. Yeah, Apolog really stood, stood out to me as well as, um, yeah. as being sort of such a, a heavy track compared to a lot of what else is on, yeah. the, um, on the album. Absolutely. Song. I definitely agree. Like Apolog and Strangely Lullaby were my favourites like, but I feel like Lullaby was standout because what i because it, it really just completely showcases cammy's vocals and then what oh, yeah. i actually want it turns out um is a full-on like bluegrass album with cammy and vocals <laughs> um like in in conjunction with like rhiannon giddens or someone who's this um kind of folky like bluegrass type uh, vocalist who is one of my absolute favorites and i'm like yes that's what i want i want that kind of more showcased i guess but yeah apologue totally total bop love that um and devout also with a kind of nice chucky sections and then kind of a direct layering with Cammy's vocals I thought I really liked that part mm. uh, that element to it as well 
Um, and an incredible cover of Nights in White Satin oh, by the Moody Blues, which manages to take this incredible soft yeah, song, really which they build up slowly, and then towards the end, they just put blast beats in it. Yeah. And it fits. So well, yeah. It works. It carries the emotion of what they're doing. The blast beats don't sound like, you know, it's black metal that's pummeling you with pictures of yeah. evil. It feels like this emo- huge emotional culmination with these like really fast guitarists that go over the top as well and carries the sort of theme of the song through to something that's so emotionally intense. And then added to Cammy's vocals as well. Yeah, I, I found her, her vocals in the chorus of that song were so moving. The first time I heard it, I actually cried. I, I was like, I'm really glad I'm not with anyone else right now. And then every time I was listening to the album, I thought, oh, am I ready for this chorus to kick in? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because the way she sings it, just she carries so much emotion in her voice. It's just yeah. unbearably moving. The one that really gets me is um, This Road, um, oh, yeah. the final track on the album, where it's yeah. got this lovely piano intro played by Dobber. And then like slowly builds it. It's, it's probably the most epic song in a way on it, because yeah. it builds this huge chorus. Um, where you've got these sort of like repeating lyrics of I wish there was a way to satisfy all that you crave and Cammy's performance on that is incredible but the subtle work of the guitars in building up this huge atmosphere building up into these massive riffs there's some really technical parts in it as well where the bass and both guitars are doing this quite fast riff where they're all matching each other note for note and you can see this and there's a studio performance which is on YouTube which is amazing it's really worth watching because Dobber switches from piano to drums um, while Sean is playing some of the drums as well during the bits while Dobber's playing piano. Uh, and they pull this off live where they all do all this switching and all this build up. And it's, yeah, it's just an incredible piece of songwriting. Well, the thing I really like about the album is, is the lyrics as well, because compared to especially a lot of the other things on the list, they've all been very sort of fantastical and mythological. There's a lot of lyrics in this that are just very naked and vulnerable, mm. like especially mm. a lullaby. Really just, real as well. Yeah, it's, yeah, it really feels like she's just literally just singing straight from the heart. And just, like, I, I, they, they, they have said that this, this is like from personal experience. This yeah. isn't a hypothetical story. This is yeah, something that's very close to them personally. It's like you're reading someone's diary. It's that intimate. Mm. It's, you know. Yeah, and that's definitely continued on um, The Banished Heart, which is the album after this, perhaps even more so, because um, it's a bit of a switch, I think Mel was saying, between the writing. A lot of the lyrics on this were written by Dobber, the drummer, and that switched over a bit to Cammy writing far more of the lyrics for The Banished Heart, which is also a fantastic album. Yes. Worth checking out. It's, it's far more sort of emotional in a way. Yeah. It's much sort of heavier and sadder and... Hmm. Uh, but I think it's more subtle than this album, and I think yeah. overall I do prefer this one. Uh, I think this one has it's, such it's, a... It's less subtle. This one has such a huge diversity of different sounds and things going on. It feels almost like a sort of... It feels like it's a greatest hits, somehow. <laughs> like, And yet it's just one album. It feels like all of these bits have been taken yeah. from where they were exploring different genres yeah. and then just pulled together. But each song is so perfectly crafted for what it is. But it's great how it tells the sort of st- like emotional journey that people are going on, mm. and the sort of mix of emotions they're feeling by bringing together all of these these different elements. This is probably the album uh, on this list, and maybe actually just overall that I've listened to most frequently since it came out, um, mm. at least in the last few years. Um, I think it's it's sort of just sort of perfectly written, perfectly performed. It's unique. It's truly original. Um, and it's profoundly moving. Uh, I, I think it's perfect, but not just in that there's no flaws with it. It's just, I, it would be beyond what I could previously have conceive of an album mm. like this to be, because I couldn't come up, well, I mean, obviously I couldn't come up with anything else, but I couldn't even imagine anything like this mm. existing until after I'd heard it. Um, I, yeah, I, I love everything about it. I like the bass tone, I really like the guitar tone. Um, it's sometimes difficult to, it's sometimes um, easy to forget the, the solos just because of how much yeah. great stuff is going on. There's some um, really nice sort of bluesy oh, yeah, solos absolutely. in this, which will like build up into full-on shredding, which is like mm. amazing how they manage those transitions. 
yeah, the, the vocals are incredible, both the backing vocals and, and uh, Cammy's uh, lead vocals. The drumming is just completely mind-blowing. I really like the drumming. And the piano as well, really great, really moving. Um, yeah, I just I just love everything about everything in this album, and I can't think of any way to improve it. Um, in terms of the concept, I'm not normally actually into relationship or breakdown, uh, breakup albums. Um, but the sort of the way that the music and lyrics and the vocal patterns are sort of layered over each other, it sort of helps you to feel the despair and confusion that the protagonist feels. Um, and I, I, I quite like the way it sort of takes you on their emotional journey in, in the sense that um, the album seems to be a concept of framing the sort of the protagonist's breakup or relationship using sort of seasonal imagery, sort of like winter moving through summer as they sort of feel a bit better about themselves. Uh, and how it represents the sort of protagonist's toxic codependent relationship that's cyclical in the same way that the, the sort of patterns of the year are cyclical and appears to involve them repeatedly breaking up and getting back together and it's even even though that they, they know that they shouldn't they just keep doing that um yeah i think it's really really emotionally powerful um, and musically it gives so much space for that as well with that mm. sort of vulnerability like from the start of winter you've got some really soft segments which give like much gentler place for the vocals to really shine and carry that message and then it will pull you into these like much more intense sections but it will always have moments to strip back and to reflect and sort of understand the journey that you've been on as you're going through the album and there are sort of several like almost interlude style tracks within it which give you that space and those are the bits that actually took me the longest to sort of get in a way yeah. um, because I previously had sort of felt that like oh, that just sort of takes up space where there's all this other stuff but listening to it more and more it really works as those sort of emotional breaks in the album to give you that moment to reflect and then to pull you into what happens next. The transitions are all quite gradual and all really well built up with some really subtle guitar work, which you wouldn't point to and say, oh, that's phenomenal guitar playing. But the writing behind it is absolutely incredible, how they carry these melodic lines through everything. And conceptually, I think it works because you assume from the, the sort of earlier part of the album that it's a breakup album. It's about someone sort of moving on from the previous breakup. And actually, it isn't so much that. It's about someone who is in a sort of off-again, on-again relationship that probably isn't good for anyone involved in it, but they mm. can't seem to get out of it. At least that's how I interpreted it. I was speaking to Phil and he interpreted it somewhat differently. Mm. Um, and I think the sort of almost twist in that, where you're like, oh, it's a breakup album. Oh, no, it's not. Somehow this makes it sadder that they're still mm. in a relationship is, is, is really interesting. Which, yeah, so that's sort of how I'd interpret it, particularly with the final chorus of I wish there was a way to satisfy all that you crave. It really mm. feels like... There's not actually a resolution to this. You know, this thing is sort of circular and it keeps happening and you just wish there was a way to solve it, but there kind of isn't. And I think I think Winter as a name of the album works perfectly well for that the sort of period in, in which the, the, the protagonist's relationship isn't working very well and then, you know, they're going to summer and feel a bit better themselves and they get back together again and you sort of have the sort of cyclical yearly kind of yeah. rotation of yeah. that. Yeah. And the album cover is, is incredible as well. It's, it's sort of... Yeah. A, a landscape comprised of various like faces and figures and things and it's with really a really well nice sort of blue color palette yeah. to it which yeah it it looks lovely and it but at the same time kind of cold yeah which... I say, the colors are definitely like a wintry blue which obviously mm. goes with the album name as well yeah so uh first time i saw them live they were on tour with um with Nebula Viscaris, and this was a Damnation Festival. With Nebula Viscaris and enslaved oh enslaved yeah, yeah. um and as Finn was saying, it was so moving. Like Cammy herself was in tears performing it. Mm. Um, it was 
probably it was all, it was definitely in my top three live performances ever. It may well be the best live performance I've ever seen. Mm. Um, it was just and it was so great to see bands really caring about what they did and being so passionate and engaging with the audience and being thankful that people were there to to, to sort of consume it and to to be there like enjoying it with them. Yeah, and and they were all sort of hanging out in the yeah, crowd afterwards. They we got to have a chat to a few of them, which which was just it was just great to see them being so you know, emotionally open both through the music and at the gig, you know, and just we, being there. We saw there. them with, with Nibla Viscaris, actually, that sort of um, in the, the backstage area watching Enslaved. And yeah. It, it's amazing to see other bands, re- like, wow, we're here with Enslaved, this is great. <laughs> yeah. like, see how, how uh, e- even people who are in bands that you, you think are incredible also venerate other bands that you think mm. are incredible. And it's, it's just really nice that they're such a part of the scene and they're so enthusiastic to be there. In fact, the only problem seeing them is that it made everything else I watched afterwards feel a little bit less good. <laughs> yes. I remember going to watch Enslaved, and I love Enslaved, and just being like, like this is really good, but my day's already peaked at yeah. watching Oceans of Slumber. So, yeah. Anything else to say about Winter? The piano was particularly good. I just piano feel is... like the piano, the piano sections were really lovely. Yeah, and that, that was, the I think, the most exciting bit of when we saw them live. I was really hoping they would play this road, and then Dobber gets up from the kit and moves over to a piano, and there's, you know, there's enough people there who are like, yes, I know what's happening yeah, now. Like, <laughs> it's really exciting. See, I was yeah. also there at that gig, and I, I know I left halfway through to go see someone else, and I can't remember who that <laughs> band was, and now I feel bad. <laughs> I think, yeah, they, they just seem like such wonderful people. Um, and Cammy and Dobber, I believe, were, were are in a romantic relationship as well, and they're just really adorable. They are. It was just great to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They were so, just having like the best holiday ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this this is probably, in a way, it's probably the most accessible of the albums that we'll talk about yeah, today. I definitely I believe think. it's the yeah. most. Um, I definitely recommend this to yeah. people who yeah. are into metal, yeah. and still yet manages to take so much from so many different genres of metal. So this is an amazing sort of combination of all the different things that have been going on in the metal world, packaged up in a way that's just utterly beautiful and incredibly emotionally moving and vulnerable. Yeah, it could probably be a really good gateway album to a lot of people actually if they're not mm. if they're a bit sort of curious but dubious about metal then yeah this would be good because it's super melodic but it does have some really heavy, heavy elements to it as well that are done really well maybe in that way it is the new Opeth yeah maybe certainly got a completely different direction to Opeth yeah <laughs>
Okay, and our number one album of the decade is from Voices. This is their second album, London. Voices, I suppose to most people, are known as somewhat of an offshoot from Agacocker, featuring um, David Gray, who was the drummer from Agacocker, um, Peter Benjamin, who also played bass in Agacocker for some of the albums, Sam Loins, who currently plays guitar in Agacocker, um, and Dan Abela on bass. Now, Voices are a really interesting group, which, when they first formed, took a lot of inspiration from some of the weirder, creepier parts of black metal bands like Silencer, and put together their first album, which, from sort of their own admission, was pulling together loads of these different ideas, lots of different riffs, and just putting that together and seeing what they could make out of it. And it's one that I've always quite struggled going back to, because London is such an amazing, sort of, well-realised creative vision with an entire story that goes through the entire thing, and such an intricate, interesting take on black metal. But when they moved on to London, they'd got this sound down of this creepier side of black metal, which takes in quite a lot of elements from death metal, so sort of in that black and death metal area. But they put it to a sort of noir horror story, which takes place in the titular city of London, um, and creates this intensely creepy emotional exploration of a city dystopia and how modern life swallows and distorts us. How living in this crowded city, like we talked about with White Ward, can create mental illnesses which lead people to the most tragic of actions. So what did you guys think of Voices London? Well, I actually really like this album. So um, this is one of the ones I'd heard before I'd, um, uh, sorry, before the podcast, because mm. Phil let this to me a while ago. Uh, the thing is, really, so the first time I heard it, I thought, oh, it's really good, that's quite interesting, I like what they're doing there. Uh, and then Phil dropped the bombshell on me that some of this is improvised. Some of the composition, and I thought, what the fuck? It's so well realized, like you're saying. How how do you just do it? So obviously the narration and the lyrics and things they then wrote afterwards to match it. But I, I can't believe you could be that creative spontaneously and get something which such a weird sound and a crazy. It absolutely blew my mind. It's sort of incredible because so many of these songs take on particular feelings. Like one of my favorites from it, "The Antidote," is so sinister. It has this like slow building up guitar passage, which eventually like really gradually morphs itself and when you think about that improvisation you can kind of see how it came from that because it took this one riff gradually evolves it into like this huge punishing like something that feels more out of death metal but with an atmosphere that feels like a bit of a mix of doom and black metal and then these like some of the most pained shrieking sounds you can imagine mm. over the top of it carrying this incredible emotional weight to it genuine pain and fear but then combined with these like beautifully sad, clean vocals at various points. So like, yeah, there's so many ideas that take so long to develop, and then by the time they develop, they've changed completely and have reframed your emotion mm. from it. So yeah, the the attention to detail on this album is staggering, considering that. Yeah, I, I could. It's especially you have to be so uh, so creative and so in touch with yourself to be able to yeah like present such sort of complex and dark emotions. Just off the cuff, I just I find it absolutely mm. unbelievable. It's you know, I think it's an absolutely stunning accomplishment. Yeah, and it's it's a really interesting album in how it opens because I've played this album to various I've played certain parts of this album to various people, and you can play them Suicide Note, the first track, which is this really like sad acoustic clean guitars. It's a beautiful piece of music, but it's really quite mournful. Peter Benjamin's sort of really like soft but like slightly off clean vocals. There's something that sounds a bit wrong, which will then come into the rest of the album. You listen to that and you think this sounds really like sad and heartfelt and then it will just chuck you into this really heavy riff yeah. and in fact the first um, the single they released from this which is the Fuck Trance which oh, is one of the time. most yeah. intense and ridiculous songs I've ever listened to it's so extreme mm. it just never resolves it's guitar passages that get higher and higher and higher and higher and just never resolve themselves and it just goes into this chugging section which 
doesn't resolve the emotions you were feeling from the previous part mm. and that's the song I often play to people because that's what voices felt was the most important part to get <laughs> yeah. across so it it covers so many emotional tones from like beautiful and soft to like just outright madness in mm. parts of it I think as you were saying there's some parallels to Whitewood in the sort of modern city setting the way that it affects mm. the mind and behaviour mm. but it feels much more like bizarre and alien and the emotions are much more mixed so the the sort of I say protagonist narrator character is sort of more angry and unhinged about the situation rather than sort of being sad and accepting about it, which mm. was more what I got from White, White Ward. Um, initially, when I first listened to it, I was like, this is utter chaos, but it's not, and, and it quickly becomes apparent that it's not. It's Whilst it's not necessarily catchy, it's really engaging and immersive if you focus on it for a little while. And I think it's really like really incredible how bizarre it can be while also being really immersive and we, so some some of the riffs on it are actually really catchy and quite groovy as well so on things like um one of my, f- my favorite songs titles uh, music for the frequently bereaved uh, <laughs> it's got some super catchy riffs in it but then it will throw a bunch of other weird stuff and i remember when we we caught them live in bristol they played i can't remember which song it was but it had this bit where they put a phaser on one of the guitars and it felt almost like it was a dance like a bit of dance yeah. music which somehow fits into these really heavy and distorted sections. So there's there's a lot going on here. I didn't get it. Um, <laughs> I, I really tried, but I, I, like I said before, I'm I'm not super into black metal anyway. And I guess the spoken words part, spoken word yeah. part, is just it just felt a bit like off. I guess I I didn't I didn't I wasn't able to like get into it. I guess. And then there was the sort of the shrieks and the the, the howls and the screams. I just found it so jarring that yeah. yeah, it just didn't do it for me at all. Unfortunately, I think it, I think it is supposed to be jarring as well. Um, like I think they're trying to make you feel unnerved mm. and uncomfortable. And they do a very good job. This is why yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I I really enjoy voices as a live performance. Um, yeah, as I think kind of a mercy performance. I really recommend that. But like I can't just sit down and listen to like I did try several times for this album. Yeah. Um, like it just makes me deeply sad mm. and. Mm unsettled but with none of the pe- the kind of positives um of like other music that makes me feel like that um but saying that um fuck trance does make me laugh i really like, like out that. loud yeah. like yeah. like it's just so hilariously jarring and weird and also because my my phone like had shuffled it without me knowing so i just went straight <laughs> into the fuck trance like when i said i was like oh what's happening here um but yeah i mean would recommend yeah and seeing yeah. them live for they sure. are incredible live mm. like it, it all sort of holds together a lot better because the first time i heard this album i didn't get it at all um but after seeing them live it all sort of feels more sort of, more sense it, it sort of fits together a lot better the album is drenched in so much atmosphere as well of like living in a bleak city and to the extent where i think this has possibly one of the only atmospheric drum solos i've ever heard on the track megan it dissolves into this just sort of all the other instruments fade out and there's just David Gray doing this mostly Tom-focused drum solo which carries a lot of the feel and the rhythm of the previous riff with the sort of sample of a woman saying Megan over the top of it. And like, it genuinely found it was one of the most probably the most immersive drum solo I've ever listened to. And even as a drummer, most drum solos are quite boring (laughs) unless you're, you know, unless you're Neil Peart or someone like that. Um, But this, like, it had atmosphere and I've never heard someone do that in quite that way on a drum kit. I could see it being an interesting experience to sort of, you know, really get into the album if if I could, like, penetrate it. I think if I was in the right mood, I could Mm. absorb it and maybe if if I could understand what the story was about, but I just wasn't able to sort of Get it, the, I the guess. plot I, is really interesting, but mm. I, even, I'm still not sure how much how much of it I understand because a lot of it happens inside the head of someone who is like not at all a, a, a rival narrator. Yeah, he's not. Mm, he, yeah. 
the things he's saying are things he's either making up or psychoses and obsessions that he has about other people that aren't necessarily true. I don't even know if Megan is a real person, if she was ever in a relationship with him, or if he's just if she's just like some random person that he's obsessing about, or if he just made her up. So from the way I understand it, the story is about, um, from some of the stuff that David Gray has said about it, who does the narration passages, it's sort of about a lonely soul in a busy city and how the human interaction or lack of it um, has affected his personality um, and how his sort of growing mental illness of being in this situation fuels an obsession he has um, with an Eastern European um, prostitute who's also in the city, which then like leads him down this bizarre path of obsession where... Half of it's things he's making up and half of it's things that are really happening. I really like some of the narration passages here because they add this, like, horrible ambiguity to a lot of the things where, like, in The Antidote where he's talking about how um, they've poisoned him but they've left this detail out of the script and he's a professional and delivers a professional performance always. And then it, like, pumps you into some, like really slow and doomy stuff in the antidote and it's oh actually that's the bit at the end of the antidote where it puts you into the fuck trance um Mm. which like it just it's so unsettling the way it does it and i think you've really hit on an interesting point of the idea that the narrator is unreliable which makes everything you're feeling and hearing in the music in a sense unreliable and ambiguous and that's one of the things that's kept me coming back to this album again and again and again is there's so many different ways of thinking about the things that you're shown like the narration passages is this real? Like, well, maybe it's not. Like, maybe it's something that's invented, but maybe it is. And how many different ways can you interpret this? Is the end of the story him killing the prostitute he's obsessed with? Is it him killing himself? Is it both of those things? Do none of these things actually happen? I don't know. But you can get so many insights into it. And I think it's a way that music can tell a story in the way no other medium can, in that it tells it through pure emotion and snapshots of characters' perceptions. So there is no real definitive story here. There's only what you take away from it. And I find that fascinating. I think with the vocals as well, they're, they're, there's so many different styles of vocals and they're all c- completely insane. Mm. It's like, I don't even know how to describe them. Like strange screeches and howls and, and like just yelling bits and the narration, the, you know, the, the narration vocals, the, um, the sort of almost goth style vocals. And they all sound really good somehow. Yeah. And then, yeah, then there's the sort of more straightforward, almost like death metal, yeah. black and death metal vocals. But the thing I love about Peter Benjamin is he gets the thing that people often talk about the band Silencer for, of having vocals that sound like real, genuine pain. Yes. But I've always found Silencer a little bit too silly. Whereas here, like, he genuinely sounds like in physical pain when he's recording mm-hmm. this, which, like, gets across the themes of this album so well. And there's no other vocalist I can think of who gets it quite yeah. like he does. Yeah, I really felt that as well but I didn't enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess that's the point. I mean, I guess it's not supposed to be enjoyed like that. It's not supposed to be aesthetically pleasing. It's like playing like a horror computer game or watching a horror film. It's it's Mm. an experience. Mm. Um, And there is some like enjoyment to be derived from that, but it's not the same as as like listening to um, an upbeat song. It's no sabaton. Something I sort of found, I mean, perhaps again, similarly to White Ward, it, again, it feels really cold, but not mm. like rural uh, Norwegian forest cold. It feels like, you know, getting up at five in the morning and standing in a damp bus stop with the, like, the winter airs burning your lungs and the bus isn't going to be here for another half an hour kind of cold. Yeah. It, and, the, and the dehumanisation of being around like so many people. It feels very mundane city cold. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's so interesting of having bands like this who are like looking at modern society and the terrible parts about it through the lens of black metal. Like black metal is so perfectly tuned to explore these elements and these emotions, which I think is incredible. I think I said you were saying uh, Phantom Facts is 
what you believe to be the scariest album on, yeah. on the, the list, I think this is scarier. Okay, this, yeah. This sort yeah. of conveyed both fear in the protagonist and also a sort of almost a fear of the protagonist. Mm. Oh, definitely, um, yeah. And as I, as I, was, I also said um, that I thought Malady was the, uh, and I'd written in my notes, Malady was the most filthy thing I'd ever heard, but I actually think this might be the most filthy thing I've ever heard. <laughs> well, there isn't a saxophone, so that's uh, going to yeah, take some points yeah, off. Yeah. Um, but other things I thought about it, like particularly towards the end of the album, it, it kind of tricks you. It does the horror movie thing of a false ending. Um, in the ultimate narcissist, which has like these really like catchy things of um, um, you will never understand. I'm jealous of everything that moves. Like it's 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 kind of sad, but it's it's, it's kind of quite fun. And then at the end of that, it goes actually no, it's bleak and terrible, and gives you Cold Harbor Lane, which is just like the grimmest thing you've ever listened to. Um, and there's other songs like the fuck trance on it, like um, House of Black Light, which is just so intense and unforgiving. Uh, and it, yeah, th- those songs are particularly at first like they were really hard to listen to. But I was like, "This is so extreme. I have to give this time." Mm-hmm. And it is one that's taken a lot of time to properly yeah. grow on me. But once you've given it that amount of time, like it just keeps getting more and more interesting. There's so many elements to delve into within it. Yeah, I, I think I do need more time to fully get it. I've I've listened to it sort of intently only once, and I've sort of listened to it in the background several times. And again, the first few times I heard it, I just really didn't get it until after I'd sort of seen them live. I think the live performance really kind of cements it and sort of makes you see what it was they were going for a lot more. I'd definitely give it a go of seeing them live. I'd be interested to see what that's like and maybe it would you know, change how I feel about it. It reaffirms to me that they're great live and I don't want to listen to it <laughs> when I'm by myself in my house. Fair enough. <laughs> but it's too grimdark. It's the most grimdark. I think in a sense some of the things you guys are saying are like spot on in that yeah. yeah like this is an unsettling album um and it will really <laughs> genuinely not make you feel very nice no, but i've kind of grown to love it in the same <laughs> in the same way that you know ollie talking about horror games like it's an experience in anxiety and horror and mm. obsession and dehumanization and it it does that so well that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a lot of people might just Genuine go actually no that's too real yeah, yeah. See, i don't like watching horror and i feel like for the same yeah. reason of that but i mean it's obviously good it's yeah pretty spectacular as an achievement and yeah like Finza, that's a kind of con- works so perfectly like conceptualised as a thing that also apparently is improvised yeah, which all bits were well. which yeah but, I mean they were incredible musicians and yeah I mean I, I like Aka Crocker so it's great <laughs> Aka Crocker were also amazing yeah. this, uh, this to me like voices have done a thing where they've become very distinct from Aka Crocker yeah definitely obviously they draw the comparison all the time because of the you know members and things like that but to me they feel really different it is very interesting to see how they've kind of yeah diverged while still having the moments where it feels like you're listening just with the vocals yeah like uh, such a the kind of sounds like it's in the that he's in the next room kind of wailing speaking yeah that kind of sound to me just is totally accurate but yeah 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 and and some of the drum grooves and guitar grooves mm. as well feel very similar but it's that thing where I'd be in a very different mood to listen to this album than I would be to listen to Words Go Unspoken. Like, yeah. they feel so tonally different. Yeah, it's like, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, like Mel said, uh, you know, it's everyday casual agcocker. If you're in a bus stop and it's five in the morning and it's raining and the bus is late, that's when you want, <laughs> when you want voices. Or maybe, or maybe you don't because it's just going <laughs> to compound the situation maybe, you're currently yeah. in. If you want to conjure up that mood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because <laughs> who um, wouldn't well <laughs> clearly Mel Phil and yeah. I love, love wallowing in this enjoy it guys um, so has anyone got anything else to say about the Voices London 
I liked wallowing in it. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I, 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 I did not. Really <laughs> I don't know if it's an album that I would have actually gone back to and tried to listen to intently had had it not been on the list, mm. uh, because it's quite difficult to listen to and it's quite difficult to get into. Uh, but once you get into it, it's really rewarding. Yeah, and I feel for me, it's definitely had sort of multiple levels of getting used to it and going. Actually, no, I do quite like this. To going. No, this is really good. No, this is really, really good. And then, like, just I just kept getting more out of it. And to this day, it's an album that I'll listen to and get something new. Mm. Um, I think more so than any other album we've talked about, or possibly any other album I've ever listened to, it is storytelling as an album in a way that I've never heard or seen in any other medium or music before. All right. So that wraps us up for our top ten list of the decade. So at this point, as we've invited all of you here, I'd like to throw throw it to you and say, are there any other albums that you think have been some of the best things of this decade? And just to explain why you think they've been so interesting. Okay, well, there's another I'd like to mention. Uh, so it's a band called Film. Uh, they're, they're, they're kind of known because Dave Lombardo is, or I should say was their drummer. Uh, they had, their first album was called Harmonic, and it came out in 2012. It's one of those albums where I, I would never listen to the songs individually, even though they're all great. But it's just one of the most cohesive pieces of art I've ever heard. I don't know if any of you guys have heard Harmonic by Phil. No. I think I, think I remember listening to yeah, uh, P-H-I-L-M. Hmm. So we have a nickname with Google because it says, did you mean Phil Harmonic? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's just, uh, so it's kind of, I guess you call it post-rock. There's elements of thrash in there as well. And there's okay. a weird mix of clean and, it's, they're just a three-piece. Uh, there's like do clean and harsh vocals. But it's just, it it's, works so well as an album. It's the first couple of songs go off and it kind of is this hardcore thing. Sounds a bit like Helmet, if you know that band. Mm, mm. Uh, and then it just goes on this weird tangent. They just give you these like three or four very strange instrumental tracks. What, all over the place. What did you say the name of the album was? Uh, Harmonic. Oh, cool. uh, and yeah, then yeah. it kind of goes off for a really long time just thinking, what the hell am I listening to? It then sort of goes back to the sound at the beginning of the album. It just, it goes all over the place, but it's so cohesive. It's just a really good sound. But I, I remember when you showed me this album of like, it's really nice hearing Dave Lombardo in another context. Yeah. Because like, you know, he's, I mean, he's a phenomenal drummer in Slayer, but hearing him do something different is amazing because he's a really creative drummer. Yeah, they make, and seeing him yeah. outside of, you know, like Slayer can sometimes be a slightly limiting context. There's yeah. some things that he'll do that just wouldn't work for that style of music, but hearing him do other stuff is fascinating. Yeah, and they make full use of the fact they have him behind the kit as well, because there's some really slow songs where he just plays ever so gently, and there's some bits mm-hmm. where he goes, right, now he can go fucking mental, and he does all these yeah. fills and stuff. But the riffing style is great, because it's just one guitar and one bass as well. It's not like, in, in some metal, you can run into the problem of having sort of two guitars, and then the bass is just hidden there in the middle. Whereas, in, in um, especially on this album, the guitar and the bass are equal to each other, and they play off against each other. They're both lead instruments in their own right. This is, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Any more? So there were, oh, sorry. Do you mean, no. Uh, go ahead, Ollie. Uh, there were two albums that um, that I really enjoyed this decade. They came out this decade. Um, I think I discussed them on the podcast actually. That mm. was um, Reflections of a Floating Universe by Elba and uh, King Buffalo's Longing to Be the Mountain. Longing to Find the Mountain. No. Be the Mountain. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, both great albums. And yeah, I, I really love them. They've got um, such a great sound to them. It's quite unique. They're both quite unique. Um, yeah, sort of psychedelic rock. I More definitely that, think, I yeah, Reflection of a Floating World has got some of the finest melodic guitar work yeah, this wonderful. decade, definitely. And such an atmospheric way of doing something that would be like stoner, like it's moving into that far more psychedelic area. Um, which And it, it's one of those albums as well where it feels like it's album cover. You see this like picture of like floating bits of land and stuff, and then when you listen to it, that's exactly the image that it conjures in your mind. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, that and another I've, I've really got into psychedelic rock a lot this um, this decade and um, King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard um, I've gotten into oh, they're it. a fantastic band They've been, they're immensely prolific Australian band um, a few albums that I'm particularly fond of Invest the Rat's Nest yeah. uh, Float Along Fill Your Lungs and Murder of the Universe 
all really great albums. But most of their albums are, are really solid, to be honest. Yeah, King Gizzard's a really interesting one. We did talk about um, Infest the Rat's Nest on episode 50 from Listener Suggestions. Um, and yeah, that it's, it's bizarre. It's like a sort of psychedelic rock band doing a thrash album. It's, it's yeah. really fascinating. Um, yeah, definitely worth checking out, as is most of their discography, but it will take you a long time to get through all of it. Yeah, the, the range in sound, actually, from like, across their albums is incredible. They, like you said, Infest the Rat's Nest is, is quite metal, um, but a lot of their albums are quite um, psychedelic rock. The, uh, like they've got sounds, uh, albums that are more kind of bluesy, some albums that are more sort of 80s electronica sounding, um, yeah, and others are more sort of traditional indie. Um, good range of sound yeah anyone else got any albums they'd like to mention yeah so I was kind of I thought oh I'll make a top 10 and I've got a top 11 but I won't talk about all of them because <laughs> that's too many but um, I guess just picking out a few um, got to mention Zia Leonardo Stranger Fruit um, and I kind of considered maybe that the first album should be on there but actually I feel like so the first Zia Leonardo album was just like it was genre bending it was mind blowing mm. everyone was talking about it um, and then I really feel like I, I didn't believe that you could follow that up. Mm. Um, I genuinely assumed it would just kind of have to be the same kind of thing or something something less good. But actually, Stranger Fruit, arguably, I, I feel like it's it's an even better album. It's it's so coherent. It's such a, like, the kind of um, the black metal and the kind of, um, like, slave music kind of elements are so well incorporated and it, it does feel so much more coherent I feel like than the first album and I think and bringing, just, bringing in the new band members they've had has made yeah, a huge difference and it's and really rounded it out it, gen- it feels like a full band and like, like a full the, concept the, the bass now sounds amazing yeah, like, it's got so much heaviness to it and watching the live videos it just looks phenomenal yeah it just it sounds so much more heavier and so much yeah like and obviously you know the production's going to be better from the kind of the small debut but it was such an amazing concept that I feel like really came to fruition if you will oh, um, oh, I'm so sorry I take it back um, so yeah definitely easier than our Strange Fruit and then um, Signosis and the album Neptune um, and they're just so kind of weird and they do one of my favourite things which is have no vocals and instead have a cool interesting instrument to be the vocal line so they're, they're kind of like this industrial slightly techy but like deaf metal band but very melodic and they've got a cello instead of vocals and the kind of cello plays all the kind of the the, the vocal lines i guess and they're just they're actually a fill recommendation because of course um when it feels like hannah you might be into this it's weird it has a cello and i'm like yes and it's just yeah it's one of the most interesting kind of um you know albums i've heard and they they definitely have much more of a kind of techno like dance like influence in a lot of their earlier albums that they kind of sometimes you get this kind of cool like a dance breakdown and you're like that is what i wanted in my Melodic death with cello, love a good cello. <laughs> uh, and then audio noir by Bosque, which also you talked about on the um, I think twenty twelve episode. Um, I think it came out twenty twelve. That's like my best album, favorite album of all time. Love Bosque. We'll talk about them endlessly, as I did <laughs> to Phil um, when I came on the podcast. Um, and then loads more. So many good albums this decade. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, we can definitely if you've got top tens of things like that, we can definitely post them up for people to have a look at. Yeah. And a, um, a proposed song of the decade. Forward by Nile Athrax. That it, I I do love how they've sampled machine guns into yeah, the groove it's just, on that. It is was, incredible. It felt very like appropriate for the decade as well. Yeah, saying that I don't like black metal, quote unquote, but probably <laughs> that that Nile Athrax album, the most recent one, which yeah. name escapes me right now. Um, yeah, no, I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, that album. In a, I feel like in a similar way to um, you know to Voices, 
and Al Nathrak is that kind of like this modern, this is modern black metal mm. at its mm. absolute finest doing what it what it can do. Um, but it makes me feel less sad, so I guess I like it. <laughs> but, um, and then uh, Archspire, Relentless Mutation, oh, yeah. and Gorod, A Perfect Absolution. If you want some progressive tech death, you cannot <laughs> do better than Archbire and Gorod, particularly those two albums. Like, they take the whimsy that I enjoy in some proper progressive tech death. Um, neither, neither the bands take themselves too seriously, which I appreciate, but Archbire are just, like, the absolute, like, it's it's relentless, literally. Like, it's, uh, mm. it's the tightest tech death album i've ever heard in my entire life and it sounds like that live i absolutely yeah. have to give our credit for having one of the most phenomenal vocalists of all time yeah um he's so quick i cannot read the lyrics as fast as he says them it's no. phenomenal <laughs> it's... um and he can do it live it's insane yeah, so... uh, he's also he also coached um jason momoa on his war chant for oh a recent wow. tv series wow. that he was in which i think is amazing well that connection has made him even better but yeah <laughs> i'll stop talking now no. Um, Finn, did, Finn, did you have any others other than? Uh, See, so yeah, the other one I wanted to mention, which is um, a bit of a weird one, is Torture by Cannibal Corpse. It's strange because obviously a lot of the albums we've um, talked about today have been sort of very whimsy and fantastical and unique, whereas that is obviously just such a such a standard death metal album. It's one of those ones. It's so fucking consistent. It's one of those albums that you know. I think before we recorded, we were talking about oh, you know, the true test of an album's greatness as well. Or you keep going back to it. As one of those albums, if I remember thinking, oh, I don't know what to listen to, I'll throw Torture on. Every single song is utterly fantastic. Just start to finish. It's so good. It's like, I'll always get back to it. It's so timeless. I think my only problem with that album is I always go back to Scourge of Iron just, before yeah. anything else because it's got just the chunkiest Cannibal Corpse riff yeah. they've ever written. It's a feel saying that was their answer to people saying, oh, you know, Death Metal's only good when it's really technical. They're like, no, you can just palm mute one note and it, yeah. just, <laughs> and it, and it just sounds amazing. It yeah. just still pummels you like a yeah. hammer. All right, Mel, do you have any other picks for it's, Best of the it's Decade? It's really difficult too because I just... Um, there was, as, as Hannah said, there was just so much great stuff come out this came out this decade. Um, weirdly, all of my picks seem to be like weirdly sad and also a bit insane. Um, <laughs> so I think Sabrosa's more constant than the gods mm. is really wonderful, kind of punky doom. Um, it's great. I sometimes just listen to it and sit on the sofa and cry for a bit. It's really, really sad. It's incredibly sad. Um, uh, Haken's the Mountain is uh, see. I find it really sad. I know it's it's off it's often seen as like oh it's a bit of a silly kind of cheesy album but the actual like it's it, it's really moving and and it's it's a really sad story that sort of it starts off as if it's going to be a positive story and then doesn't end how you would you would be expecting it to if it was going to be a power ballad about how you can achieve your dreams because it's I think a, certainly towards it's a the song end about of the how you can't it's, it's an album about how you can't achieve your dreams or well, not you can't if if you you have to be willing to sacrifice everything to achieve your dreams and you still might not achieve them particularly towards the end on somebody like that is actually oh, really sad so like and these incredible vocal melodies on that um what else um two that sort of go together um, Akakoka's Renaissance in Extremis is a really, really powerful and absolutely batshit insane nuts album about depression mm, and, mm. and of the personal experience of um, I can't remember his name. The, Jason Mendoza. Jason, yes, um, going through sort of uh, the experience of having depression and, and, and how he was sort of coping with it. And uh, Woods of Ypres Five, Grey Skies and Electric Light, yeah. is, is similarly about um, or has elements of. Uh, someone suffering with with mental health problems and i think that was done really well uh woods five got me through uh, a really horrible year of uni which is probably more why i like it than any sort of technical competency but it is really very well done woods five is one of the most emotional albums i've ever heard i think so that definitely deserves a place and um vols self-titled just for being really great but really sad kind of punky prog thrash it's just i don't i'm not normally into thrash but this is really really good 
Um, I think the other things I've mentioned, so Phil has made a playlist on Spotify of the top 100 um, based on all of the years that we've gone through. Um, pretty much all of my picks are on there. So Alkaloids, Liquid Anatomy, I would definitely highlight as some of the most interesting progressive death metal. Um, Artificial Brain as well, Infrared Horizon. Sort of progressive death metal, but more in the vein of Gorguts, really interesting. Ishan's After for what I think is the best saxophone ever um <laughs> some of the parts in that are just absolutely brilliant triptychons is that the, um, Jürgen from Blackjack? yes it is it is but used in a very different context triptychons milana Cosmata is everything that celtic frost and hellhammer has ever aspired to and is phenomenally dark and heavy yobs clearing the path to ascend is possibly one of the best doom metal records ever released um and then deconstruction by devon townsend is utterly bizarre and i love it I was actually really surprised that um, that Yob didn't make the top ten because I know Phil really loves it. I, I think they were they they are in the top hundred. I just don't think they're quite. I think I believe they're in the top twenty or thirty, uh, clearing the path to ascend certainly. But there's there's a hell of a lot of competition, and I'm sure Phil would say the same thing. Of this will sort of switch on a bit of a daily basis. It's this is yeah. it's really hard to say this is the best or even this yeah. is the top ten when you've got such a huge range of albums to choose from. Um, it's been a great decade for music. Yeah, and I think particularly for. Bands not creating new genres, but taking influence from other genres of metal and other genres of music in general and putting that into create things that are completely unique. And I think almost every band we've talked about today have done that in yeah. some sense. Yeah. Uh, any other albums we want to mention or any significant things we think in this decade? I think my favourite music video of the decade is again Subriser, but not from that album, from the, the latest album uh, for this we fought the Battle of Ancients. Mm. Um, they did a music video for Troubled Tells, and it's wonderful, but it's also really like it's more. It's just the saddest thing I've ever seen, and it's so well made and so great put together. I recommend watching it, but I recommend watching it like by yourself so you don't just like start crying at work or something. <laughs> Um, there's a few non-metal albums that I wouldn't mind mentioning. I Absolutely. Um, Tedeschi Trucks Band are a really great band. I've discovered they're quite a um, sort of bluesy rock band. You might like them, Hannah. They're, they're quite sort of um, a bit bluegrassy, I guess. They have influence of like country and gospel and jazz as well. And yeah, very decent band, female-fronted. Um, yeah, female vocalist, I mean. Uh, another band, The Dead South. Yeah. <laughs> they're really good. Bluegrass band. Uh, and the band that I really like that I've not found anyone else. Well, I guess you, you quite like them. Uh, those Poor Bastards. Oh my God, so um, good. <laughs> which are yeah, awesome. nobody else likes them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like a, I think they describe themselves as gothic country. Um, <laughs> that sounds great. But yeah, they're, they're yeah, awesome. They're super yeah, they, fun. Um, yeah, they're, they're, their music is so sort of depressive, I guess, and macabre, mm. um, but also strangely whimsical. Yeah, silly. Yeah, silly. Yeah. Silly. Silly and macabre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, I, really yeah. I think if we're talking non-metal, one thing I really wanted to mention on the 2019 episode, but I forgot, was um, a sort of like synth band called Judge Bitch who released an album called Horseblood, which is, <laughs> is utterly amazing. It's basically just massive 80s synths with crazy shredding guitar over the top, and it's the most motivational thing I've ever heard. Nice. It's so good. It's only about 35 minutes, but I'd really recommend checking it out. Any other non-metal releases that uh, people really liked? Uh, yeah, I really liked Light Clockwork by Queens of the Stone Age. Light Clockwork is yeah, probably one of my favourite yeah. Queens albums. Yeah. So I'd probably agree with Brian David. He said um, uh, I Appear Missing was his favourite song of the decade. Cool. I just oh, find it really yeah. moving after his near-death experience. And I think it was... Uh, yeah. cool. um, I'd also probably give a shout-out to um, Clockwork Angels by Rush. Um, as Neil Peart sadly passed away, um, Clockwork Angels is still to this day one of my favourite Rush albums, even comparing to all of the old stuff. Um, absolutely phenomenal album. Um, still had it even in 2012. 
So if that's everything um, for our wrap-up of the decade, um, I'd like to thank all of you guys for joining us and for listening to so much and so much weird music in the process of this. You know, there's a lot to process here. Um, yeah, so if you have any other albums that you think, we've got our top 100 list, but if there's anything there that we've missed out, um, if there, we'll doubtless have missed some fantastic things. Like I know Ruins of Beverast, we only got to know earlier this year from a listener who pointed them out to us, so I'm sure there's other brilliant things that we'll hear and we'll go, yep, yeah, that definitely should have been in the top 10. So send in your favourite picks from the decade. Talk about some of the trends you think are most interesting this decade. What genres of music have been the most interesting what sort of groups of musicians, which scenes have been the really interesting ones. Um, you can contact us at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com, at breakfastmetal on Twitter, and philsbreakfastmetal on Facebook. Um, and we will see you soon. Thank you for listening. <laughs>